This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach. Your guide on the side. Happy Tuesday to you. And uh, boy, oh boy, buckle in. We got a great show today. We're going to be talking uh, surveillance and intelligence. Two things many would say this show lacks. Yes. Surveillance? Yeah, surveillance and intelligence. Don is always watching. Don, Don is always, uh, yeah. I think, I think my phones are bugged because I can't work them at all. My phone's. Well, just they, people call, and I'm like, apparently my phone's ringing. Clean, clean the crumbs off it once in a while, yeah. and you'll get cockroaches off of it. Yeah, I just use my, it's, I use it as a sandwich holder. It's, it's, all, just, that, it's all that peanut butter. It's a lot of peanut butter on that thing. Hey, uh, got a great um, show too. We're going to talk uh, just back, so we got to talk about what happened to him. Do we? Yeah. Oh. Jeff got a little stomach bug. A little. Uh, was more, Georgia, I would rum, say it was rum, more than that. Rumbly tummy. Yeah. No, 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 no. This wasn't my tummy feels bad. I'm not coming in. This was I can't do anything but lay in bed and visit a special room Told in the house. Tough weekend. Wow. Celebrating his birthday. Was it, um, it was the bounce house? Was it something you made? Did you make something? No, it was something the the good folks at we'll just say it rhymes with uh, Blilly's. I want my baby back, baby back. Baby. <laughs> And it wasn't ribs. Yeah, it was. Okay, good. It was a salad of all things. That's, oh, Salad's wow. supposed to make you feel good. No, yeah, no, no, no. Well. Salad. Uh... <laughs> the first and probably last time I'll uh, ever have a shrimp salad. Oh, boy. There are so many good jokes here. Let's go back to my, my rule of you're in a landlocked area of the country eating fish. Yeah, not even eh. fish. Well, bottom bottom yeah, feeders. Bottom feeders that the fish would eat. That's yeah. Let's just say this will not be considered one of the salad days. It won't. No. Yeah. By the way, this uh, uh, this segment sponsored by Salad Shooter. Love from, my Salad Shooter from Blilly's. I grate cheese with it. Um. Wow. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. That's too bad. I yeah. really am. I'm sorry. And that... I'm sorry. I'm sorry it had to go through me. <laughs> There's nothing worse than that. There really isn't. I mean, that, and especially salad, honestly. Mm. I mean, it's not, it's not appealing usually anyway. But, uh, okay. Well, we're glad you're back. You found that really funny. I still do. I have yeah. a lot that I want to say, but I'm just holding back. All right. Well. Hey, um, <laughs> by the way, uh, we are now, just so you know, if you're following the show, we're now in the middle of opening exercises. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing our opening exercise. I was typing that up last night. I'm like, yeah, we'll just call this opening exercises. <laughs> so one of a, who's giving the invocation? That will be Terry. Okay, but and I'll be pres- did, I'll be presiding. You just did the announcements. Uh-huh. The announcements are done. Now we let's now get, separate for classes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just a little uh, throwback to church right there. Can anybody volunteer to take Jeff to the hospital just in case? <laughs> When, when was your last episode? We're going to send around a sign-up sheet. Yeah. But everyone uh, will ignore. As a doctor, when was your last episode? Yesterday, thankfully. What time yesterday? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I think, 
I think after noon, it, it kind of cleared out. When did the fever break? <laughs> so staying home was a great idea yeah. because you wouldn't want somebody no. running the board running out every five seconds. That's kind of like me when I drink a lot of water. Mm. But without the fever <laughs> and the shakes and the chills. Yeah. Well, we're glad you're back. And uh, you couldn't be back in better time because today we're talking about surveillance, Chelsea Manning, and the whole – does Chelsea Manning – do you remember? She's the one uh, that President Obama just commuted her sentence. She had a 35 – seven – I think it was seven years to 35-year sentence. He commuted the sentence after seven years. She's gone through enough. Done. Now, a lot of people aren't liking that because – you know, intelligence is important, and a lot of people's lives were messed up because of her decision to expose them. She signed documents when she took the position that she had that gave her access to the intelligence that if she did that thing, she would go to jail. Yeah. And so they sent her to jail, and now she's out. People have a have an issue with that. They're not liking that. And but so, the bigger story is the government keeps talking about whistleblowers. Right. We to, last night, the, it was the House Intelligence Committee, uh, Chairman Nunez said, we want to hear from the whistleblowers. <laughs> Everyone's like, really? Because you Not just me. put us in jail. Yeah. You know? And then they get mad because people are leaking. Well, I mean, I guess it's different to be a whistleblower than a leaker. Is it? Yeah. I mean, you know, to, to whistleblow, you would <laughs> well, go to authorities, to judges. You would go to the proper authority leaking. Jeff, tell us what leak. <laughs> don't. don't. <laughs> tell us. No, no, no. That's bad. I was going to say, you know, Terry, how you mentioned that she signed those documents. She didn't yeah. keep up her end of the bargain. She so didn't. it sounds pretty cut and dry, unlike my weekend. Right. This is going to be all day. <laughs> I got nothing to say. Yeah. So, yeah. But the other problem is her uh, leaking of these documents now means there's going to be more surveillance because now they have to surveil these employees more than ever. Now you can't – you're going to be – they're going to watch everything. Right. They're going to watch everything. There's no SimCity on your government phone. Anymore. Oh, by the way, the city's doing great. Great. Glad to hear Townsend that. Abbey, uh, up to about 120,000 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you raised taxes yet? No, I, I don't think I'm allowed to raise taxes. Really? It kind of raises them on their own. But my people, not to brag, 100% happy. Wow, that's great. One hundred percent. Wrong. Have you dropped any chemicals in the water supply? To no, have this haven't done that. No. Okay. Everyone's happy. One reason is I, I have a moratorium on building. I've oh. stopped building because if I, if I build, I have to buy more. I have to buy more firehouses, more yep, police yep. stations, yep. more schools. So. I'm kind of done building. I'm just going to grow by improving services. For yeah, now. I think you hit on a key word there, improve. So stop trying to build new things and just improve the things that already you, are not working. You can't improve on 100% so happiness. So you're going with infrastructure. Yeah. And we opened the beaches. Nice. We just put a merry-go-round out there. Even though there's a, a shark that's been Do you have a plan circling the, the shore there. A yeah. plan for when the whale shows up on the on the beach. Um, no. San Diego's yeah. had some issues with yeah, that. No. Other, okay. But we're not going to blow it up, okay. and we're not also going to. We're just going to tow it back out. That's always yeah. been my plan. That's your plan. You're you don't right. you don't haul the whale off to the dump right. through the town. See, no, I, I was more chop it up and take it off to the dump. Right. You you wanted to pull this thing out to the ocean. Just haul it back out into the ocean yeah. and then feed the fish. Well, isn't feed the fish? Isn't whale meat supposed to be pretty good? Yeah, high in fat too. Have you ever had a shrimp salad? At 
BBs, Billies, Billies, Billies. Great salad. It's great. I'm like no. <laughs> Jeff, do you want you want to go to lunch for a salad today? We'll do a salad. No, I will not. <laughs> you know the funny. The last time this happened to me. Yeah. Also a salad. Yeah. Oh, I can't eat salad. I can't stand this stuff. Shoots right through you. Not for me. Get a get a porterhouse in there. That's not moving. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we'll get to that fun. But uh, first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? House Intelligence Committee Chairman David Nunez claims he visited the White House grounds the night before he publicly revealed that there was incidental surveillance on individuals connected to President Donald Trump. Nunez told CNN that nobody else at the White House knew he was there. In a statement, the committee's (laughs) communications director says Nunez met with sources at the White House grounds in order to have proximity to a secure location where he could view the information provided by the source. Last week, Nunez mysteriously left an Uber cab and went to an undisclosed location the night before he made the revelation, keeping even his own staff in the dark about his whereabouts. He wow. told CNN that it had, it had nothing to do with Russia. Senator John McCain on Representative Nunez. Do you think it was appropriate that he went to go view these so-called intelligence reports on White House grounds? Well, I think there needs to be a lot of explaining to do. I've been around for quite a while, and I've never heard of any such thing, and i uh, Obviously, uh, in a committee like an intelligence committee, you've got to have bipartisanship. Otherwise, the committee loses uh, uh, credibility. And so uh, there's so much out there that needs to be explained by the chairman. And uh, it's turning into a centipede like these things have a tendency of doing. And another shoe seems to drop every few days. No, I'm not sure. Is the centipede wearing the shoes or? <laughs> How many shoes does the centipede have? By the way, I think he took an Uber car uh, driven by Yuri Korshnikov. Could have been. Centipede is a great video game, too. Wonderful. Yeah, great game. So this story would be much better if it was, it, they're trying to make it into a spy novel. Yeah. The, there's different members of the press who are really looking into this like he did more than just go to a secure location and look at some papers. But uh, apparently he went to a secure location and looked at papers. But no, but nobody at the White House knew he was there. No, they're, and they're they're which, like which Secret so, Service should be seriously worried, right? And they're like, did he get a background check? And Sean Spicer yesterday goes, I'm not sure if uh, members of Congress need background checks to come onto the White House, you know, you know, grounds or anything. And he's like, I mean, he was just using just our walk in the door special room. So, I don't know. Weird. The whole thing's weird. It seems like it's more to do about nothing, yeah. but it's interesting. Yeah. So uh, President Trump took to Twitter again last night. To to say that uh, the Trump's Russia story is a hoax, and he questioned why the White House or why the House Intelligence Committee isn't looking in, into the Clintons more. <laughs> Back to the hey, Back hey, to hey. what about the what about Nixon? What's going on? What's going with on everyone with Nixon? Else? President Trump's approval ratings hit a new low Monday with just thirty six percent of Uh-oh. Americans approving of his performance. This is from the people at Gallup. Last week they put out the uh, poll. If you remember, he hit a new low at thirty seven. How low so can you go? He is achieving greatness every yeah. week. In the wrong direction. A notorious bank which acts as a front for Russian espionage is now part of the investigation into contacts between President Trump's administration officials and the Russian government. Oh boy. This time it's Mr. Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor Jared Kushner who will be questioned by the Senate investigators about his meeting with uh, Russia's VEB Bank. Who? The bank used to be chaired by Russian President Vladimir Putin, and because it has funded so many of Putin's pet projects, it needed to be bailed out recently by the Russian government. Wow. So it's it's just getting crazy. It's also it was also one of the banks sanctioned by the U.S. government after the alleged 
intrusions yeah. into our uh, elections that are be currently being investigated. Oh, so yeah. fun times, fun times. And finally, NFL owners on Monday approved the Oakland Raiders' request to move to Las Vegas. All but one franchise, the Miami Dolphins, voted in favor of the move. I don't know why the Dolphins would be the What's lone that? holdout, but whatever. The Raiders are expected to stay in Oakland for at least the next two seasons, though while the new stadium was built in Nevada. Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, I think, made multiple 11th-hour efforts to try to keep the team from leaving. A $1.9 billion stadium is due to open in 2020, and the Raiders are expected to share it with the University of Las Vegas because UNLV has a horrible stadium and you know, <laughs> might as well upgrade it while they're there. The San Diego Chargers will uh, also be moving to L.A. if you forgot that was happening. Wow. You know, I'm, it's too bad for Oakland, really, because that's got to be devastating to lose a team like that. Yes, but their stadium is bad. Yeah. My wife and I were there for our honeymoon. Because we were really well, we stayed kind of on the Oakland side, and then went yeah. to San Francisco to. Sounds do a little bit more for you than it was for her. What do you mean? Um, going to Oakland uh, to the stadium? No, no, no. That's where the where you, the Bart. Oh yeah, Bay Area Transit. Yeah. that's you where it would it stop. Yeah. and then our hotel would oh, pick us up there. Oh, I thought you actually went back. to the stadium. No, I don't really care. It's just a horrible neighborhood. Yeah, yeah it's a tough. We're both standing there like we're going to die. Do they have a Chili's? Uh, they probably have multiple locations, and they all have shrimp salad. I love the shrimp salad. Now, it would be fresher on the West Coast than it would be it the would Rocky be, Mountains, honestly, but that's fine. It really would. You know, Oakland still has the A's, yeah, so they they've do. got that going for them. Don't they play in the same stadium? Yes. I don't, it's a horrible, horrible stadium. I've heard that. Yeah. You know, if you There's YouTube videos of it would rain, and all of a sudden the dugouts would flood. Oh, really? And the water just runs into the locker rooms. And the, the NFL uh, during NFL games, they're standing underneath the stadium watching water just run through the stadium. I hate, it's hate flooding. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be fine. Just relax, man. Relax. Hey. Um, Later on today, yeah. I have two stories of job openings. Oh, are you looking for a job? No, not me. But, you know, it's a, sometimes for people, it's a, it's a tough time. You yeah. need some employment okay. opportunities. I have two job examples opposite. of jobs you may want. Yeah. Not sure if you do, but possibly. I, have, I hear the salad bar person at Bluey's <laughs> yeah. is looking for a new job. Yeah. They're uh, That's cleanliness issues. We will get to that. We'll get to all that fun straight ahead. Um, but, oh, by the way, and Jeff brought this up to me, which I thought was really fun. Um, Lady Gaga's birthday today. It's a Gaga birthday. I think uh, your first birthday's words, too. Gaga. Gaga? She's got some great songs, though. Happy birthday, Lady Gaga. What do you, what do, you do if you're Lady Gaga for your birthday? Mmm. Shrimp salad? Ooh. A blue. Yeah, get a new meat suit. At, uh, and then go to Blilly's, that restaurant. Anyway, we ought to take you to lunch, Jeffrey. Let's Celebrate. not go to Blilly's. Let's go to Fendi's. Fendi's. Yeah. I like their Rosties. <laughs> not dropping any brand names today. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. All right, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're talking surveillance and the government and surveillance. You know, with all of these leaks, does that mean more surveillance is needed? Stick with us. We'll be back. (music) 
Chelsea Manning, formerly known as Bradley Manning, was a U.S. soldier as uh, who was disgruntled with how the American military was handling themselves overseas. Manning then copied and posted hundreds of thousands of classified documents um, onto the Internet, although the release of information has had relatively uh, lasting damage to the American diplomacy. Um, the documents talking about prisoners, torture, and assassination squads enraged Americans across the country. But uh, here's the here's the, the, the question. And we hear about leaking all the time now, even more so with uh, President Trump and, um, you know, Edward Snowden. We hear all of these stories. But what has all of this leaking done to the government? Now it seems like the government is actually needing to surveil more people in order to protect those people from leaking, right? So now is surveillance now going up because of these leaks? Today we have Dr. Sanjay Goyle, an associate professor at the School of Business at the University of Albany, SUNY, to talk a little bit about this subject with us. He wrote an article, Is Part of Chelsea Manning's Legacy Increased Surveillance? Uh, Dr. Goyle, thank you so much for being with us today. Yep, it's my pleasure. This is such a... um, it's such a, I guess, appropriate discussion now with more and more talk about leaks with President uh, Trump and what's going on there. But we also hear of Edward Snowden. We hear of WikiLeaks and um, and uh, Chelsea Manning. When you when you look at this, well, I guess first of all, what are you seeing? Is is surveillance? Are we getting better at this business? Or are we just learning to surveil more? Or what are we doing? So first, let's look at the problem, right? Given the electronic media, fast transmission, and easy-to-copy devices with large uh, uh, data volumes, uh, it's becoming easier and easier to copy data and leak data. And uh, in the leaks have always happened, you know, for hundreds of years, right? right? But the leaks were very targeted, very brief for limited amounts of data. But now with easy-to-copy data, data available everywhere, leaks are easy to happen. And so any... Anybody, any insider can basically take information and reveal it outside without much difficulty. And so what happened in case of uh, Manning was that he had access to all this information and he copied them on CDs. So there was surveillance, but uh, he basically created a new vector in which he copied it on music CDs and nobody suspected him and he took the information out. Mm. Where, where, did he, where did he then put all the information? Well, I mean, there are so many different ways of putting it. I mean, the main source of information out today is WikiLeaks. Right. And so, you know, they basically take the information which other people provide and display it to the public. And, uh, you know, there are several issues here. You know, the public has a right to know, you know, what's going on. And at the same time, you are under an oath of the government to protect the information that you're entrusted to. So there are morality issues here. Right. Who's right, who is wrong is a very difficult question to answer. But the thing is, what is the aftermath of this now? Do you sense that um, with President Obama commuting his sentence after his time served, which was seven years of a 35-year sentence, does it? do you sense that it, it softens the impact of what these, you know, what taking, I mean, these documents and leaking these documents, is, is it changing the the consequences that we would suffer for doing such a thing? Well, you know, deterrence is an important uh, message for people that, look, if somebody else got punished very severely, other people are not going to do it. But people are strongly willed. In cases, people are still going to do it. But the whole culture is changing now. I mean, in the past, so while he revealed the information that he wanted to reveal, but 
this has made it harder for anybody else to do it because there's much more increased surveillance in not only in government agencies but even in private companies now. So you know you could easily put your th thumb drive anywhere and copy data. Now everything is watched. People are doing keystroke logging and seeing what their em employees are doing. They're doing behavioral analysis to find out what people are doing. So I think as and when new vectors are discovered, people come up with their defenses. And the same thing has happened in this case. So insider threats have become one of the largest research challenges now mm. to find out how to detect insiders before they actually commit. So, so yeah. I guess now then, as as we see more and more threats, um, now it's more now more and more we need to surveil those that might be possible threats. So really, we're creating more and more of a surveillance culture. Well, okay, now, there are two separate things, right? Surveillance is going on innocent people and getting their information whom you don't need to go. But if you're working inside a company, the company has a right or the government has a right to find out that its information is protected. So right. it's surveillance within the organization that has been stepped up. And so, you know, one of, one of the projects we are working on is basically identifying, using honey tokens to find out if people have propensity to steal information. And a lot of such projects are going on around the country to basically understand or identify the threat before it happens. And uh, th this, was, this is a logical consequence of what happened. The new threat vector was discovered, and now you know, there's a lot of research money that is being spent on understanding how to counter this threat. Did, have you seen the movie Snowden? Yes, I have. It, is that, I mean, because you, you notice the, the, the um, advanced um, screenings they do on these people that work in these situations, like you're talking about the research now on who's more likely to leak, is I guess is there any way to really create a, a leak-free environment? Is that possible? Can that even be expected anymore? Yeah. So you know, people have talked about having perfect cybersecurity. I mean, that's not even a possibility. I mean, you are going to get breached. Inside is going to get leaked. There are two things which we need to do: gain more visibility into your networks. The networks have become so dense and that people don't even have any idea who's coming in, who's leaving, who's copying data. So the gone are the days when we could live with perimeter defense that, you know, we would just put a big wall around our secure networks right. and keep people out. First of all, people can break their perimeter wall very easily through, uh, through basically using phishing attacks and whatnot, breaking through the defense barriers. So the perimeter wall is just a deterrent. It really does not stop many attacks. And so gaining visibility into the network, that is becoming the key security paradigm, that you, things are going to happen, you detect them as soon as possible, and then you, you contain the damage. And if you look at a lot of the major attacks that have happened, OPM, and again, the attack by the Iranians on uh, cyber physical system around the world, they all lasted for a long time yeah. without being detected from weeks to months to even years. And I think that's, that's where the security paradigm has changed, from the perimeter wall onto network visibility, to detection and containment. Yeah, that's what they'd always say, right, is keep them out. But the reality of that perimeter wall yes. being able to sustain that, that doesn't happen. So now it's, no. it's even who's downloading what. The minute you're seeing certain files moving, you, you now have people noticing those files are starting to move. And, I mean, and then I guess even, even then surveilling some of these uh, – I guess surveilling some of the employees outside of work as well is that is that picking up as well? Well, that's uh, well. I don't think surveilling there, there are laws against it. I mean, so, you know, so there is some surveillance outside, but mainly be using wiretap laws. Mm. 
And, you know, with permission and court orders, yes, people are being surveilled. I do not think people are being illegally surveilled without, without court orders and wiretaps. I mean, there's a lot of brouhaha that is going on around uh, the Trump leaks and surveillance yeah. and whatnot. But I think there were pro- proper court orders obtained for any of that work. And if there is surveillance done outside of the country and uh, there is somebody from the U.S. and all, and those are picked up as well. Mm. either inadvertently. For instance, if you're surveilling a Russian agent, right, and somebody from the U.S. communicates with them, that conversation is picked up as well. And but, so, but the inf- well, go ahead. I was sorry. just going to say, this is, this is important. I mean, because it's one thing to be, you know, spying or, or taking these records from the federal government or the Defense Department or, you know, I mean, that's, there you go. Now you're in really big trouble. You're also in trouble, though, I mean, now companies have to protect their own databases, um, and that creates a whole other level, right, of of a threat. Is a company losing its its own its own data, losing its own customer base, losing its own um, you know its own research and development? Yeah, some of the earlier attacks that came in really were about after intellectual property. I mean, either intellectual property or getting the names of dissidents from other countries, which have a more authoritarian governments. And so companies have geared up. As a matter of fact, companies are probably leading the charge are they? on insider threats. So there's one company I work with. You know, everything is locked down. They, they have software in there which can figure out any file movement. They can figure out if somebody is using a thumb drive, what files they're accessing, how they're accessing it. Hmm. And so that's increased a lot because companies have a lot at stake. Yeah. And there, there are a variety of reasons why people steal from companies. You know, first of all, they, they get angry, disgruntled. Well, you know, somebody else was promoted instead of them. They get greedy. And sometimes there are people, foreign agents, who are just patriotic to their own countries who want to steal information and bring it back. Hmm. Do we, do so we they, need a better system for them to report, you know, like some independent body that they could go to as a watchdog and turn information in instead of sending it to WikiLeaks or – I mean, it, where because it is – I mean, it, it, people can die because of this information getting out. Well, absolutely. I mean, some are, there are a lot of our secret service agents whose information gets, if it gets stolen, their lives are in danger. Yeah. So, yes, in the OPM hack, for that reason, was dangerous because a lot of people on there had, uh, we, well, the security clearances were on there as well. And so that means that they probably are people of importance. They can be targeted to be spies for other mm. countries. You could always be more surveilled in the future, curtailing their activities. So a lot of things can happen. And we have to be careful. I mean, look, uh, exposing information to the public is is good. People need to know, but at the same time, you need to protect government information as well. Yeah. Because you there's a reason you are entrusted with the information, and so you need to hold your your end of the bargain. And so it's a hard morality question, but at the same time, you know, you you have taken an oath to protect the information that right. is given to you. So so really, thirty five years. For the oath you took and the responsibility you were given, that's a fair a fair sentence. Oh well, okay. Now I'm not a legal mind, but uh, the reason these sentences are given as a deterrent to other people, and uh, so I think we got enough publicity that we are able to identify people and hold them responsible. That itself is a big deterrent. Yeah. No, yeah. and, uh, but, you know, the exact level of the sentence, should it be 35, 25, 50, 10? I, it's really hard for me to comment on that. I mean, people feel differently about it. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, the reason uh, it was done is because he was really not a happy soul going, th- going through life. Yeah. 
And so for a variety of reasons, he had emotional issues, psychological issues. So it's a very complicated matter, you know, what was the right thing to do? And, well, I mean, because uh, it's a big deal too, right? Because uh, Edward Snowden would love to probably come back to the U.S. <laughs> and have a seven-year sentence. And, um, you know, people it's, – it's a, it's a really – it really is. It's a very complicated uh, thing. Yeah. And I think if anyone would go watch Snowden, you'd start to realize – this is a. This isn't going away. This is the future um, of yeah. the cyber world. Let's take a break, Sanjay, and come back. Continue this discussion about increased surveillance and government uh, surveillance as well. We're speaking with Dr. Sanjay Goyal, who is a professor, associate professor at the School of Business at the University of Albany, SUNY, to uh, uh, help us through this very complicated issue. Stick with us. Talking surveillance and intelligence. We'll be back. Friends to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is Dr. Sanjay Goyle, an associate professor at the School of Business at the University of Albany, SUNY, and he is uh, talking us and walking us through increased surveillance and and the problem the government, I guess, and and even corporate America has today. When you think about the fact that. Um, Boy, people can come in now, have access to all of your records, all of the information, and then you know, steal it, download it. They can do it, you know, in in a in a tech in a desire to you know negatively impact. They can spy. They can just try to be a whistleblower, trying to point out certain things that the government is doing. But uh, the government has a response, and they're they're trying to crack down a little bit on on sir on. Um, on intelligence and protecting the information that we do have. Dr. Goyle, again, thank you for being with us. Yep, my pleasure again. So when you talk about, like, the federal government, now give us, give us some more – I mean, because this is, this is a huge, this is a huge uh, amount of data that the government has to protect. And we, we've heard story after story about how, you know, even the IRS is using computers that are – and systems that are 50 years old. Is, is the government – up to speed to really stop these hacks and to keep people from from spreading this stuff, this information. Right. So I think if you look at what has happened, if you if you look at the how we have evolved through the internet, right? We had the era of the internet about twenty years ago, when internet was really the big driver behind efficiency. So we took all of our systems, the government and the private sector, integrated them together so that they were all a single monolithic system where it was easy to query data, easy to basically do analysis. The same integration is now hurting us, right? Right. So, so instead of having siloed data that if somebody were to break in, only a piece of the data was compromised, given the interconnectivity that we have created among all the data sets we have, we compromise the whole thing. So one of the things which the government is doing is it's rethinking its data. And also the private sector, instead of, you know, basically having a single connected monolithic mass, they're siloing the data again. So that's where the architecture is changing. That, hey, look, we need to independently protect data. And the second thing which is extremely important is given the volume of data that we are generating, we need to make sure what we really need to protect and what we need to protect. Mm. Because not everything is equally valuable. And 
it's the expenses, there are a lot of expenses. It's very costly to secure everything at a very high level. So we need to start being very, very careful what we need to protect. And the third thing is data proliferation. The same data can be available in seven different places through copying and whatnot. Right. We need to make sure that we maintain data at the source and we don't let it proliferate along different things. And a lot of these things are happening. The government is aware of that. But again, look at how integrated we are with the systems. It's a huge expense. And people don't want the disruption of services. So at best, you know, we can create parallel systems and migrate them over, but it takes time to do all of this. So we are aware of all of this, but the investment that is required to make it more secure. And people will, again, once you make it more secure, it's a cat and mouse game. They will find other ways to break into right. it. So it's a constant, constantly evolving process. We have already gone away from perimeter defense to gaining more visibility. Now we are sil siloing our data systems into multiple uh, connected parts, but just connected, each of them is protected individually. And so over time, security is going to evolve. Boy, and you, you can almost see, too, the redundancy of it. So if my, if my information is being copied by the government and shared in three or four different places, that same information is, may cost four times more to protect, and really it's not any more protected. It's actually right. less protected. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The more sources you create, the more vulnerability there is. Right. <clears throat> It seems like the healthcare world, because you were saying how the corporate America really is seems to be leading out in this, and it seems like the healthcare world that's trying to figure out how to keep all of our health records, um, you know, protected, and and it, it seems like they would be a great leader in this field as well. Well, yes, and I completely agree with that. I mean, healthcare has has a lot of data to protect, but again. You know, one of the things we need to think about is that, look, we all want our privacy, right? Data privacy. Yeah. But there is a value to privacy as well, right? If you're on your deathbed and, you know, your doctor needs information about about you to be able to make you better, do you really care about privacy? Right, no. So, exactly. So, there is a cost of privacy. There's a context to privacy. We have forgotten all of that. Either we pro protect everything in all situations similarly. So, we need to start nuancing these things. We need to create a privacy index. At some point, it may be good to let the privacy go. For instance, another thing is security versus privacy, right? Can we compromise some uh, privacy to gain more security? Yeah. That, that's the other question we have. So these, there are no easy answers to these things. We need to make some fundamental changes, right? So one of the biggest things which we never want to do is take away the anonymity of the Internet, right? Make everything traceable on the Internet. Who is sending what where? Then all, now, yeah, then all of a sudden, yeah, you've got them because you, but, there's, no, there's transparency. But then what do we lose? That a lot of people who are not, not able to express themselves without this Internet will not be able to do that anymore. Right. right now, people are able to be dissidents. They are able to express views about governments and whatnot without fear of being caught. So, again, there is no hard and fast rule. The Internet, the, the integration has provided us with a lot of services which will never go back. So the question is, where is the right balance? Mm. So each and every question you come to, it's a question of balance, right? right? What's the balance between convenience and security? What is the balance between privacy and security? What's the balance between productivity and security? And so these are the questions that we need to start thinking through and Who, as we move forward. Well, and, and, and part, it needs to become part of the debate. I mean, I guess that's the problem is we, we're not even really having a debate or a, even it doesn't seem like a real deep conversation about this. We we just hear the Chelsea Manning story and then, you know, the talking heads all fight about it. But Sanjay, we're not asking these questions you're asking. Right. And, and I think we need to start thinking about it. But see, because the problem is not solved, 
most people think that we have not solved the security problem, right? Right. That is not true at all. We have made huge advances in security, but the technology changes so fast that the advances we make are quickly overshadowed by new vulnerabilities we create, new right. vectors of attack we create. Now, now just look, look about 10 years down the road, we will have connected vehicles, we will have these smart grid, we will have internet of things, we will have pacemakers controlled from outside. And look at the implications of security then. Hmm. uh, Somebody could break into somebody's pacemaker, give them a jolt, and kill them right away. Somebody walking through the the airport terminals, somebody could be targeting assassin. The next assassin could be using an an electronic device to kill somebody with their own pacemaker. Right. Yeah. Or bring down a plane through technology, right? Not even sitting on the plane. Right. So things are moving fast. And, uh, you know, thinking about inside of that, just, that's just one of them, but we need to start thinking through wh- what are our real values, where do we need to provide privacy, where do we need to provide security in order to be able to tackle the most serious challenges that will come in the near future. Mm. Does um, I, I guess at the university level you're talking about this, and I'm sure you go to a lot of conferences. Do, where What do you suggest we do to get some of these conversations out there, to start having more of these these balanced conversations and, and really to understand what our goals are. Right. I mean, these are, these are supposed to happen at multiple levels, right? You know, you need to have state-to-state diplomacy that, look, mutual deterrence, that, hey, look, or mutual compromises, confidence-building measures, that, look, we are not going to attack you, you don't attack us because we both die. If something like that happens, we're going to destroy people's lifestyle. We will basically start killing people once we have the Internet of Things. So we need to reach straight-to-state compromises, right? What happened uh, in the nuclear world? Two nuclear bombs dropped in Japan raised everybody's conscience level to an extent that an agreement was reached. I don't want that a catastrophe to, to happen before we reach a compromise at the international level on cybersecurity and not attacking each other. That's one. The second thing is we really need a debate among the academic community. We have privacy advocates at the same time. And at the same time, we have researchers working on technologies, and then we have the government, which needs to provide security to people. We need to have a dialogue, as a, a national dialogue, an international dialogue. Hey, look, where do we stand on what? And plus, a lot of research needs to follow all of this. Can we create some kind of a privacy index, where we can a privacy and utility index, where we can lower the privacy standards based on the context? So, so a lot needs to be done, and discussion at various levels, but an honest discussion, right? Everybody takes their extreme positions, yeah, and and they're ready to bark at each other. But that's that's not the right way. We need to really nuance it, get a deeper understanding of what the issues are. Um, and I, I I totally agree, and I feel like we, you know, it's got to begin somewhere. And I guess that really that's why I wanted to have you on is to help us really understand what's going on. There is a lot of advancement. It's it's no longer even about a thumb drive anymore, but you can now know if a thumb drive is being inserted into a computer system. And overall, though, I guess Sanjay, I hear that there is there's there's hope. I mean, we're we we can do a lot, we can stop a lot, and we need to we really need to have more conversations to know how far to go. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is just the beginning, and this is not the stop. If we need more people working in this area, we need more people working in the privacy area, people working on the societal impact of privacy and security. So this is not a technical problem. This is a social problem. This is a problem of psychology, understanding people, understanding society. And uh, so that's what we need, even at a technical level. 
that we need multiple disciplines to come together to figure this thing out. Great. Sanjay Goyal, thank you so much for your time, your insight. Uh, truly, it's uh, important what you're doing. And, and the more we hear about hacking and uh, intelligence leaks and surveillance, the more we, we need a better tracking system. So we appreciate you. Sanjay Goyal, again, remember, uh, associate professor at the School of Business at the University of Albany, SUNY, and um, author of the article is uh, part of Chelsea Manning's legacy, Increased Surveillance. Yeah, in a way, yeah. And maybe also increased conversation about surveillance, which may be just as important as Sanjay taught us. We'll take a break, folks. Coming back, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, as because we're here to help you, we wanted to give you a little update on some job opportunities. If you're looking for a job, Terry has two employment updates. I found these online yesterday. Good. I thought maybe I would share them with the audience. You weren't looking for jobs. No, 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 no. You were just, sort of came up. This just came up. Yeah. Okay. Very happy with uh, where I'm at. And what's you love on. what you're doing. Yeah, sure. Uh, a shortage of required citizens, to, uh, witnesses to watch eight lethal injections over the next 10-day period next month. So 10 days, over 10 days next month, they need witnesses to watch some lethal injections. Wow. Uh, prompted the state uh, prison director in Arkansas Tuesday to call on Rotary Club members to volunteer. Uh, who, who's in the Rotary Club? I guess anybody that wants to be. I guess it's just kind of open <laughs> yeah. and wrong. Citizen witnesses are there to verify that the individual executions are carried out according to law. A volunteer must be at least 21 years old, an Arkansas resident, and have no felony criminal history and have no connection to the inmate or victim. Okay, yeah. So you basically want a millennial, which I'm not, and uh, someone who <laughs> plays video games and is completely dull to anything violent. Or, or somebody that might like it. Ooh, that's kind of well, creepy. It's lethal yeah. injection. They should just go to sleep. Yeah, they right? should. So it, uh, it hasn't happened over the last few because, you know. That's why they're having a hard anymore. time getting the stuff. This is the last times these were set, we actually did not have enough people volunteer, Department of Corrections Director said in uh, as they were talking to 99 Little Rock Rotary Club members. So they're hmm. trying to convince them. A little outreach there. You seem to be a group that does not have felony backgrounds and are over 21. So if you're interested in serving in that area, this is a serious role. Just call my office. That was his pitch. The uh, eight executions are scheduled two at a time beginning April 17th, ending April 27th. Uh, according to state law wow. in Arkansas, they require that the prison director uh, have no fewer than six and no more than 12 citizen witnesses at each execution. Wow. So they're, you know what I've found, though? Yeah. You can always call the, the PTA. <laughs> the, PTA the PTA will help. They'll, they'll, they're and, always there to help. And that rush to get 10 in a week, yeah. 10 executions in a week, is because the drugs, uh, the expiration dates are coming up on the drugs. They're trying to get this taken care of before okay. they have to buy new drugs. I thought they were going for a record. No. <laughs> Wait, didn't we talk about this before? Yeah. Like, what's the, what's the point? What's well, who the cares if, yeah. if they're expired? Well, yeah. Well, I guess the effectiveness of the drugs. Yeah, well, you've got to do it humane. It'll right? still kill you, right? Yeah, but you don't want the person to suffer because then it looks bad because usually there's like TV people watching too. And then they'll report. Well, and now there's witnesses. Speaking of suffering, all those uh, prescription drug commercials that you see, like, don't take this drug unless you want to die, basically. (laughs) That's a lot. They they list all the side effects. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You've had some of those side effects. (laughs) 
without even taking the drug. I should have died like five times already. Yeah. And the other job I found, if you've always liked the idea of working for the Queen of England. Now, hold on. Yeah. Who? Have, who? You, have you wanted to work for the Queen of no. England? Well, I mean, just maybe. People if, have? Maybe. I don't know. It's a, it's a, Is that a, a thing? Wife. Is that a thing? Could be. People okay. like you know, the Queen. And happen to be a skill, skilled in soft furnishings. This could be the ideal job for you. Okay. The, the royal household is hiring someone to make cushions and curtains in Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, and St. James Palace. And is likely the successful candidate will be kept busy because they need to remodel and refurnish and reupholster a lot of items, apparently. Oh, interesting. The full-time position pays $27,000 a year, involves looking after 1,000 rooms in the, in the three palaces, and is to be expected when you're working for royalty – you must have extensive experience and outstanding practical skills. Both are said to be essential for the job. Boy, Sounds like a pretty cushy job. It says the furnishing, the soft furnishings upholsterer will maintain the presentation and functionality of these unique environments and will consistently aim for the highest standards. It's great. I don't think any of us are qualified. As well as managing soft furnishing furnishing projects, designing new items, cutting fabrics, the person in this role will also be expected to care for numerous historic items and ensure the workrooms are kept in good condition, fully equipped, and stocked. Wow. For how much? 27,000? Yeah. U.S. dollars? Well, it's 22,000 pounds or $27,000. Okay, yeah. That's not a lot of money. Seems like a lot. They're asking for a lot to get so little. Right. But it is cushy, as you said. Wait, how much much do we get paid for the lethal injection witnessing? Oh, that's free. That's just your your citizen. That's like jury duty, but they don't pay you for it. You just go watch people die. By the way, later that day, you can also go watch car accidents off the freeway. So I can have psychological damage for the rest of my life for free. Uh So for the queen's job, it says applicants must also be organized with a structured approach to work. Oh, boy. See, we don't. Okay, we're out. (laughs) Yeah. So Out. That's not happening. (laughs) Arkansas needs people to witness lethal injections, and the queen needs someone to recover her couch. We'll keep bringing you job openings all around the country, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world and in the U.K. Bye-bye. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Dr. Matt here. Good news. Jeffrey Simpson's back with us. How are you, Jeff? You feeling better? I'm feeling better. I'm feeling uh, whole again. Good, good. Have you? Um, I really want to take you to lunch today. Have you? Have you tried that tossed salad from Chili's? Uh, I tried the shrimp shrimp salad. Yeah, how'd it go? Well, let's just say not everything came out all right in the end. Okay. Good news. Uh, we'll, we'll. I just want. I'm just glad you're healthy. You're back. You're happy. <laughs> Um, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, phantom cell phone ringing. 
Have you ever had that weird phantom ring? Like, yeah, like that one that just ignites. <laughs> that ignites into your back pocket. Not that type, but where you feel this vibration in your pocket. All the time. And you then pull out your phone and it's it wasn't your phone. It was a phantom vibration. I'm guessing there's some psychological thing going on there where I just feel lonely and really want somebody to give me a call. You know what? Psychologically, that's part of it. You are you might be addicted to your loneliness. You your case is a little bit different because um, a lot of people they say that have been electrocuted also have phantom pains. Really, and phantom ringing. So because you you've been electrocuted. Um, you may yours may just be more attributed to that than the fact that you have an addiction. So if I'm feeling kind of like a you know the brain freeze sensation you get, yeah, I'm feeling that right now, kind of in my uh, left the left side of my shoulder. Does it um, does it radiate down your arm? Uh, it's have, it's only about halfway down. Do you have chest pain? Just you know, just the upper left, just right. On the sh- in the shoulder area. Yeah, you might be having a heart attack. Well, but you're an EMT, right? Or you, you were yeah, an EMT? Yeah, used to be, yeah, a few years ago. Okay. Like 27 years ago. See, I can't afford, you know, the ambulance, but, you well, know, as long as you're here, well, I should be okay. You. Terry will take you. Well, I'm not the I'm not trained, though. You That's, are. You're fine. He you're doesn't want to get sued. Yeah, I don't want to get involved either. You'll be fine. Just put no. him in the back seat. Nah, it's fine. No, you, you're you're Just pull over, pick him up a toss salad from Lily's. This is going to be a lot funnier if I actually do have a heart attack. <laughs> wow! Do you remember how we made all those jokes about Jeff having a heart attack and then he had a heart attack? Right. That was funny. Awkward. That was. All right, now we'll we'll check you. I'll check you during the break. But if you do go down, I'll do CPR. I'll do the compressions. Terry does the respirations, and. We're, we're, you're set. Just remember, uh, if if you do have to do mouth to mouth, you're not supposed to plug my mouth and my nose. That kind of ruins it. Really? Don't plug my nose and my mouth at the same time. Okay, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Just a little help, folks. That's what we like to do on the show. Make sure you're updated on the latest uh, CPR techniques. Do not plug both the hand. Don't put your hand over the mouth and the nose. That, you're not. You're not in my will. No. So no. You don't, so it's all good. you don't need to progress things further along. It's all good. It's all good. We'll be talking phantom cell phone buzzes. When you get that phantom ring that doesn't – it's not real, but you're sure it is. It kind of – we're going to get into really the addiction of your cell phone and the impact it's having. All that ahead, plus uh, Caitlin Thomas will join us talking a little sports memorabilia apparently. Yeah. You never know, right? I mean it, there's there's so many things like jerseys. You could take Tom Brady's jersey, for example, make a lot of money on that thing. Or two of them. Two of them. Plus uh, one of the Denver Broncos helmets, because apparently that same guy that stole Tom Brady's jersey had a Denver Broncos helmet. Did he really? That's what I read. What a he little klepto. Kind of, yeah, he had the illegal sports memorabilia market. Yeah, that's a big market, too. Did and anybody w- check with OJ to see if he stole any of that stuff? Well, with OJ, he was in prison, though, right? Yeah. But with him getting out soon, there's going to be a lot of stuff on the market. Going to need some money. There's yeah. also talk of a reality show with him, by the way, also. So that's coming up. Oh, boy. Yeah. Must see TV. 
That'll be great. Uh, okay, let's get to the headlines now with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Thanks, Matt. Before we start, a little, little change here. Um, so the Freedom Caucus, they kind of stood in the way of President Trump on the yeah. health care bill. There's some thought maybe they're going to stand in the way of the, any sort of tax plan, mm-hmm. maybe the funding of the government coming up. Yeah. And uh, one of the members over the weekend stepped down. His name is uh, Representative Ted Poe from Texas. He had this to say on CNN yesterday, clip three. You know, I, got, I got the opinion that there's some members of the Freedom Caucus, they'd vote no against the Ten Commandments if oh. it came up for a vote. <laughs> that that is fighting words. That made me laugh. So this is the Freedom Caucus, the Freedom which Caucus. is not any relation to Streptococcus. No, no, okay. that's different. That's different. different thing. But just the vote against the Ten Commandments, uh, it's just kind of funny. Yeah. Now, now on to the, uh, the news. Lindsey Graham. Our uh, delicate uh, Southern Belle of yeah. a senator uh, Tuesday said that uh, objectivity in the House Intelligence Committee Chairman David Nunez is in question over his handling of classified information involving Trump. Well, I think you put his uh, his objectivity in question at the very least. Here's what I would suggest: that David go to his Democratic colleagues and share the information that he was given by this unknown person, so they would all know exactly what he's talking about. And if he's not willing to tell the Democrats and Republicans on the committee. Who he met with and what he was told, and I think he's lost his ability to lead. So Nunez went to the White House, saw some documents, unnamed person, little cloak and daggerish sort of feel yeah, to it. He yeah. says it's no big deal. I did it during the middle of the day. Other people saw me there. I shook hands, talked to people, kissed the babies. There was no babies, but it was that kind of thing. And then now people are like, but you didn't tell your staff. You didn't tell the whole intelligence committee, the whole point of the committee. You're just supposed to work with the Democrats. Right, right. supposed to be combative. Are we supposed to tell our mom everywhere, we're, everywhere we go? Well, not anymore, Jeffrey, now that you're married. You're probably good to go. You're free of your mom. Okay. Now this all has to do with the Trump team and what what connection, what any contact they had with Russian intelligence or whatever. All this stuff that's been going on, and then he goes and meets with the president and informs him on everything before he tells anybody on the intelligence committee, which caused some issues, and uh, breaches a protocol left and right. And so it's this concern about can he actually conduct a legitimate investigation. Or yeah. is he compromised? That's really the question. Right. This morning, it was announced that House Intelligence Committee Chairman David Nunez has reportedly scrapped all upcoming full committee meetings. Oh, really? Yeah, so those are out the door now. He's going to meet privately with the FBI and the NSA. And I guess what is might, going I, on? I'm not sure. Every couple minutes, something comes up here. Former Vice President Dick Cheney declared on Monday that there is no question that Russia meddled in the 2016 U.S. election, adding that it might be an act of war. Cheney was blamed in part for taking the U.S. to war in Iraq, was uh, speaking at the Economic Times Global Summit. It was, I think, Russian President Vladimir Putin has designs on the Baltics. We know he wants Crimea. He took it. Cheney said there's no question that there was very serious effort made by Mr. Putin and his government, his organizations, to interfere in major ways with the basic fundamental democratic process in some quarters that could be considered an act of war. Wow. Granted, he did shoot his friend. Yeah. While shoot him! So, different, different, different <laughs> Shoot them Russians. The Department of Justice will block approximately $4.1 billion in funding for so, so-called sanctuary cities, according to uh, Gen- uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced Monday. Local jurisdictions that do not comply with federal law will be barred from receiving federal grants, Sessions said in a statement. He pointed specifically to 8 U.S. Code Section 1373. He said that like four times. It was, he had to actually look it up to see what it was. Wow. Which prohibits local authorities from blocking communications from federal agencies 
like the Immigration and Naturalization Service. In some sanctuary cities, local law enforcement chooses not to comply with federal detainers requesting information on custody of undocumented immigrants. While municipalities are not legally obligated to comply with the detainers, like ICE and other immigration enforcement groups, federal code makes it illegal to block the communications. Should local authorities interfere with the detainer, their city should uh, lose federal funding. This could mean, like, for instance, San Francisco, San Francisco, and New York could lose a combined twenty-five billion really? in federal funds, which goes to anti-terrorism yeah. activities and things of that nature. So it could become a, a profound issue for these cities. Oh yeah, uh, thieves have stolen a one or two hundred twenty-one pound gold coin from a museum in Berlin. What? The heist took place overnight. And police unsurprisingly suspect it was the work of multiple burglars because it weighs 221 pounds. The big maple leaf, as the coin is known, is worth more than $4 million due to the amount of gold in it. The coin was issued by the Royal Canadian Mint, because why not, and features an image of Queen Elizabeth II. On wow. one side and a maple leaf on the reverse, it's more than 20 inches wide. If you have any information, call a museum in Germany, apparently. Apparently they're hiring. In the, the Queen's hiring somebody. Yeah. To upholster her, like, uh, I don't know, couches and multiple residences. Yeah. Her cushions. Yeah. But you're only getting $27,000. But you get, you know, you get to hang out at Buckingham Palace. Yeah, and you get to bow to the queen. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know what more so you want. What? how much money would make that a ideal job? 150K. To upholster, like, couches and chairs and stuff. Yeah, just walk around and test all the furniture. All right, well. I mean, I think it'd be fun for a week or two. A week or two? Then I think you get a little bored. What what if you just live for recovering furniture? Okay, then you do it for 27 grand. Okay. Well, or if you love the queen Yeah. and you I, want I, her to I, be comfy. I think they're adding the benefit of the queen as the reason why you would do oh, yeah. it for such a cheap price. But oh, sure. You can just watch her Netflix show if you want to feel close to her. Yeah, that's how I do it, and it's cheaper. Uh, today also, by the way, something on a stick day. Mm. Who doesn't love relaxed finger foods that you can pick up by the stick and eat it? Mm. So whether it's a toffee apple, uh, campfire sausage, cheese cubes mm. on a toothpick, ice cream bar, lollipop, mm. today's the day. Something on a stick day. Corn dog. Have you ever had – a tossed salad on a stick? Have not. How about a tossed shrimp salad? Nope. Have you ever tossed a salad? Uh, probably. One thing about tossed salads, it doesn't stick to your insides. That's for sure. What do you mean? <coughs> what do you mean? Well, let's just say uh, it likes to move. Okay. Wow. We got a lot to talk about today. And yet, for some reason, you keep talking about that. <laughs> a 70-year-old woman ran a marathon on every continent in one week. Show off. Show off. Yep, that's what that is. These seniors. Yeah. Look what I can do. Making yeah. me look bad. Chow Smith is a 70-year-old Missouri runner who's complete, competed in approximately 70 races. Last year, she decided she wanted to set the bar even higher for herself with a new goal, run seven marathons on seven continents in the span of one week. And she did it, by golly. Smith ran in Australia, Cairo, Amsterdam, Singapore, New York, 
Chile and King George Island, Antarctica. Don't say Chile. See, Why? Yeah, right. They toss in Antarctica just to show off, right? Because what are you running? Yeah, and you're running around. In a, if it's an island, is it a circle type? I mean, you're just running around. I mean, it's not 26 miles. Yeah, I don't know what right? you do. And there. at that point, you're just running to stay alive because it's so cold. Right. Yeah. Just showing off. Totally showing off. You were just laughing at the word running. Yeah. You just someday you just got to run. Yeah. By the way, I think the hardest one would be Chile. Wouldn't it be Cairo? Yeah, Cairo would be hard. It's hot. It's hot. Gone dirt. Amsterdam, beautiful time to run. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> beautiful time to run. Um, she decided to take on the challenge, which she called, which was called the Triple Seven Quest, as a way to celebrate her birthday. She trained for eight months to get ready for the challenge. Her preparation also included working with a running coach, physical therapist, and a nutritionist, as well as practicing her pacing. Normally, she can run the twenty-six point two miles in about five hours, but she wanted to make sure she could keep her stamina up for all the races. The runner credits physical activity and keeping her health, uh, uh, keeping her healthy and happy. And research supports her theory. Studies show regular exercise can keep the brain sharp, increase longevity, and decrease anxiety. Hmm. Good job, Chow Smith, seventy years old. You, she did it. She succeeded. She did what very few people do, and would want to do: the triple seven quest. Yeah, I think anything over three miles is a deal breaker. I mean, you get around 26.2 miles every day. Yeah. Plus fly. So you just, you then have to, would you not have jet lag? And just think of just the horrible food on these airplanes. Right. And the middle seat, you know? Maybe a shrimp salad. It's horrible. Have you ever tried a shrimp salad? I have not. Sheesh. It's tough. (laughs) Jeff, good to have you back. This show so far has been a, a tribute to Jeff and his health. Or lack of, whichever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good to have you back. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we will be talking about phantom cell phone ringing. Have you had the phantom ring? If so, stick with us. You may have a bigger problem than you know of. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Have you ever experienced a phantom phone call or text? You're convinced that you felt your phone vibrate in your pocket or that you heard your ringtone, but then when you check your phone, no one actually tried to get in touch with you. You then plausibly wonder, is my phone acting up or is it me? Well, it's probably you, my friends, and it could be a sign that you just uh, have become too attached to your phone But uh, the good news is this. You're not alone. Joining us is Daniel Kruger, research assistant professor at the University of Michigan. He's here with us this morning to help us learn more about phantom buzzing, what it means, and what we need to do about it. Uh, Professor Kruger, thank you for your time. Certainly, Matt. Good morning. This is uh, an interesting topic. So the buzzing phantom phone ring, is it a sign of bigger problems? 
Well, people who experience it very frequently, more than, more than a few times a day, might be psychologically dependent on their phone. So most people experience it some of the times, but the more people experience it, the more it seems to indicate that they are craving the rewards from all these messages that they receive on their phone. You know, it's their connection to their social world and to, uh, you know, information. And because they're anticipating these messages so much, they get hypersensitized, you know, to sounds or they have the phone in their pocket and sort of like rubbing in their, in their pant leg, you know, they interpret that as, as a vibration more likely. So people who are experiencing it very, very often, you know, that might indicate problematic usage, but it seems like most people experience it at least some of the time. Mm. Is it, is it, can we call uh, phone, excessive phone use an addiction yet? Are we, are we to the level of calling it an addiction? Well, there's a big debate about that. And actually, the people who create the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual didn't accept it into the latest uh, round of updates and revision. So there's a big debate. I think there's a lot of researchers who say that, yes, this is an addiction, just like you could be addicted to a substance. You know, you could be addicted to mobile phones or technology. But I think there there was a lot of pushback from folks who thought, oh, well, that's silly. You know, this isn't you know, this isn't like cocaine or something. So right now it, it's still a battle. So it's not, it's not officially a psychiatric diagnosis, but in the literature, you know, you will see researchers talking about phone addiction and trying to measure it. Because, I mean, many people would wonder, wouldn't the addiction need a chemistry? But there is a chemistry attached, right? It's a brain chemical that's being ignited by such a, such a need. Right, right. You know, our, our, our mind is the product of our brain, and we have neurotransmitters and, uh, you know, neurotransmitters like dopamine that uh, give us rewards. And there's other people who have looked at how, uh, you know, phone use relates to, you know, this dopamine reward system. So, so there is a physiological basis, you know, so the stimuli that we're getting is, you know, is more social and more informational. We're not directly manipulating the chemicals in our brain. But the chemicals in our brain are responding to the stimuli just as well. Yeah. I, I can see some people not relating to this phantom buzz idea because maybe, you know, they don't they're, – they're not that into their phone. But in your, in your article, in your information, you talked about 80 percent of college students have experienced this phantom buzz. Right, right. So it's, it's pretty high. And I guess that's not surprising considering that today's college students report using their cell phones up to about five hours a day, mm. which is uh, incredibly remarkable to me. But, uh, you know, I think this is something that just really pervades our culture, especially for those who have grown up when, when cell phones have always been around. Yeah. You know, so if, uh, so if Marty McFly, you know, was actually able to travel in time from 1985 to the real 2015 he wouldn't see flying cars. You know, unfortunately, they're, they're still working on that and per- trying to perfect it. What he would notice is the screens. Everybody would be on their screens. You know, he'd be walking around the downtown public square there and trying to trying to talk to someone, mm. and they'd be ignoring him because they'd be you know looking on their phones. They'd have headphones in, and then when he finally got to someone, they would say, you know, he would say, oh, you know, can you help me find Doc Brown? So they'd Google him and say, oh yeah, here's a bunch of pictures of him. Here's where he lives. Here's his phone number. Do you want me to call him? <laughs> and they call him, and Marty would be astonished. Yeah. So it's an incredibly powerful technology, and there's so many things you can do with it. 
And maybe that's one of the reasons why, you know, it is so widely utilized, but this is something that really has changed our, our social landscape. And once you start noticing it, you'll notice it everywhere. You know, if you go out to a coffee house, you know, or just out in public anywhere, you know, just, just pay attention to how many people are on their phones and question, you know, is this, is this influencing our real world social dynamics? Oh, it really, I mean, it, and as you research it, it is, what do you see, how do you see it impacting us socially? Well, one, one thing that we're noticing, we're actually working in research now where we're taking people's phones away, right? And we're finding that compared to those that don't have their phones taken away, when people have their phones taken away, they actually socialize more with the other people around them. Really? You know, so that's a, that's a controlled experiment, you know, where we're demonstrating this pattern that we see happening in the real world, and now we can, we can empirically verify it in the controlled lab setting. And what happened to those? I'm, my kids would would like to know what happens to those people when their phones are taken away. Do they die? Because they're convinced they're going to die. <laughs> right. Well, the, the funny thing is, is uh, you know, we actually, you know, we we put the phones in a box, and we actually see some people like looking at the box. You know, so they know their phone is in there, and they're sitting in their seat, they're being good, but they know their phone is in there, so. Uh, you know, it just shows you how, how much people might, uh, you know, crave the stimuli. You know, we did another study where we just went out and we watched people as they waited in line for coffee or, you know, for the bus stop or whatnot. And we just looked to see how many people use their phones. And in the majority, like two thirds of people were using their phones. And when people, you know, were not using their phone, but then they arrived in line, most of them use their phone within the first 10 seconds. So the yeah, minute so they get that break, their brain immediately thinks, get the phone out. we got to get the phone out. Right, right. Not even not even the minute. 55% did it in the first 10 seconds and oh. 80% did it in the first 20 seconds. Oh, my heavens. You know, and that's even, that's even quicker than I expected. I, I thought, you're right, you know, in the first minute, most people will be taking out their phones, but... You know, that's why it seems like it's the end of downtime, you know, like any downtime or any time where you're, you know, you're just sitting around. It's like, hey, well, I might as well be on my phone because I could be checking Facebook or Twitter, you know, or going online and, you know, seeing what's up in the news. You know, so it, it really is this, you know, wonderful resource that we have. But at the same time, you know, we're still we're still in the learning phases of, you know, how can we effectively utilize this so we maximize the benefits, but we don't impair our own social functionality you know if we are, if we get so used to just communicating with people online you know through text are people going to be able to interact appropriately you know in real life situation man this is it's true and um and two it, it what's there's a little it's a little pernicious if you start to think that there's a chemical involved as well i mean that you might even you're actually feeding this need uh Chemically, I mean, we always think of it kind of intellectually. Well, I'm just checking my email. Hello, I have a few seconds, but it used to be we would we wouldn't worry about that. Now we're worrying about things that we don't even necessarily care about or need. Right, right. You know, it's like, oh, you know, did I get an email? Did I get a message? Um, you know, sometimes and sometimes people are expecting a message, and that actually makes these uh, phantom experiences more likely when they're. They're anticipating, oh, you know, somebody's going to send me something. 
that makes it more likely. But even just in in ordinary time, you know, folks are, are more sensitive. And, you know, there is a, a neurological basis, you know, like you, you said, uh, you know, chemicals of addiction, you know, things like cocaine and heroin, you know, those kind of hotwire our brains. You know, yeah. you're basically taking these extremely refined chemicals, so they're extremely powerful, and it really, you know, it's like putting jumper cables, you know, into your brain. But even social stimuli, you know, like talking with someone, like even getting a hug from someone, you know, that also causes right. changes in your brain. You know, not as intensely, but, you know, it's the same with these, uh, you know, with these rewards from, you know, from your phone. You know, your phone, it's not just a, you know, it's not just this brick, you know, this electronic brick. This is your social world right in your palm in your hand. So, you know, you're getting some some social connections and social rewards just as if you were, you know, talking on the phone or, you know, talking, uh, talking in person to people. But, you know, what we're, what we're looking at in this study, you know, is this, you know, do these phantom experiences give some supportive evidence to the notion that these, uh, you know, these cell phones and such can have addictive properties? You know, how can we, you know, how, how can we think of this uh, in terms of, uh, the the things that happen when someone is addicted to a substance, you know, does it fit the pattern, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, and and this is our argument: when someone is addicted to something, you know, whatever it is, they get hypersensitized to the reward and things that are like the reward, you know. So if if somebody's addicted to you know tobacco and smoking cigarettes, you know, and they haven't had a cigarette in a while. You know, they'll look around and everything, you know, everything they see that connects to cigarettes, that will trigger them, right? Mm. Uh, and people get hypersensitive to things that are even in the same stimulus class, meaning that, you know, if there's like a sound or a smell or something that's associated with the reward, you know, usually, then you're going to be hypersensitive, you know, to that sound or that smell or, you know, what something looks like. Because you'll be, you know, you're craving your reward and you're looking for it. So anything that's like evidence that this this reward is coming is is going to be triggering. So that's what we're we're speculating here is that you know people have all kinds of sensory input. You know, so uh, you know our brain is a reducing valve. You know, Huxley kind of compared it to this. Uh, you know, we have so much information that's coming in that we can't possibly comprehend everything simultaneously. So our brain processes it for us and interprets it. So we have to interpret, you know, is this a call? You know, we hear noises, you know, what is this? Is this, is, is this a call? Huh. Is this a vibration? And, and basically, when we, when we hear something that kind of sounds like our phone, or if our phone is in our pocket and it's like rubbing in our, in our pocket, we might feel some sensation and we're more likely to interpret those sensations as an actual call or actual buzz. And it just might be the way that our brains work is that when we interpret things that way, you know, we might just feel it even more specifically than just there's something rubbing in my leg. Like, you know, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever seen something from far away and you can't really make it out, you know, you kind of see something there, right? Oh, that kind of looks like a person or, you know, that kind of looks like this. And then when you get closer, you say, oh, it's not. But, you know, when you were far away, you really see that. Yeah. You know? And so, like, your, your brain is filling in that information. You know, it's basically imputing that information to reach a conclusion that's going to be useful to you, right? Yep. So when you get these, you know, when you, when you hear something or when you have a feeling 
you know, you, you interpret these as the phone messages because you're craving it and you're hypersensitive to the, you know, indications that you're, you're getting these communications. Yeah. Oh, man. It's a tangled web um, when we because we can we can make it seem like it's whatever our brain needs it to be. We're going to take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Daniel Kruger. He's an assistant professor at the University of Michigan. He's been doing some research on phantom phone pains and really the impact both socially and emotionally of, uh, you know, what might be the beginning of the concept or the validation of possible addiction to to the phone. At least it's your brain, you know, doing everything it can to get you back on that phone. It needs you back on that phone. We'll take a break. Continue this discussion of uh, possibly the new virtual drug, your cell phone. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, folks, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Dr. Daniel Kruger from University of Michigan, who's been doing some research on the, the what's behind phantom cell phone buzzes. You ever had that feeling that your phone is, you know, vibrating, buzzing in your back pocket, and then you check it, and nope, nope, no one called. Those cell phone uh, buzzes may be telling you you got a bigger problem. And uh, Dr. Kruger, thank you again for being with us. Yes. Good morning. In your research uh, about, you know, how often were these phantom buzzes occurring? How many times a day? Was it a multiple time a day thing? What did you notice in the research? Yeah, it depends on, depends on the individual. So, you know, most people did feel them at least once in a while. Uh, you know, the most common was uh, phantom vibration. So almost 80% of people, you know, felt these phantom vibrations. And then uh, about 40 47% phantom notifications and 37% phantom ringing. But most people feel them, you know, once in a while, uh, you know, just as much a smaller portion feels them uh, once a day or more. Hmm. Did you, um, I mean, I guess as, as you've been doing the research, what are, what are some other things that are standing out as ahas for you as, as some pretty important learnings that we all ought to hear about? Well, it's just amazing how much cell phones are integrated into our lives and how dependent we're getting on this technology for many things that we do. You know, I thought um, the ads that uh, played in the, in the break were, were really perfect for this because, you know, they're talking about, you know, what the future is going to be like and integrating technology into the classroom. And that certainly has lots and lots of potential, but it also <laughs> raises the issue of, you know, are we going to become dependent on this technology, right. you know, both psychologically and technically dependent? So imagine, you know, if you have a classroom that's set up, you know, with PowerPoint and multimedia and you have all these demonstrations set up and then the power goes out, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, are you going to pick up a piece of chalk? You know, it's, uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a, a big question to raise and, you know, maybe at the same time that we make use of, of this technology, we should also keep in good practice, you know, being able to, to work without it. So one thing people can do, especially if they're, if they're feeling that they're getting more and more, you know, dependent on this technology, 
and they're feeling these phantom experiences quite often is, you know, take some time out, you know, so have, have scheduled times where, you know, you don't use your phone or take a break, you know, go away for the weekend, uh, you know, go camping or go somewhere and, you know, just leave your phone off and just take a break from it so that you can, you know, interact and get used to the, the experiences of not always having your phone on. Yeah. I mean, again, that's, <laughs> that seems like such an extreme thing, but it, it really, it's healthy. Like there's, there, it's so nice sometimes to have to put your phone, you know, lock it away in your car and go take that hike and know that you don't have service anyway. It doesn't help you anyway. Um, I, I, but then again, I guess if you've, if you've gotten it to a point where there's maybe a, a level of addiction or need, whatever we're going to call it, boy, that's that's even hard to do. Have we? Do we have data? I mean, I guess we've only been really gathering data on cell phone use for, you know, 20, 30 years, I'm assuming. Yeah, you know, cell phones, I mean, 30 years ago, uh, you know, people had car phones. Yeah, they were right? too it big to carry. Heavy. <laughs> right. You know, it was, the, it was the size of a shoebox and it weighed like 50 pounds. So, uh, you know, mo- so those were mostly in people's cars and such. But uh, you know, really kind of like in the 1990s, uh, that's when they started getting small enough for people to actually carry them around. And do you remember when the first smartphones came out? You know, the first smartphones was like the BlackBerry. Yeah. And do you remember the nickname for the BlackBerry was the CrackBerry? That's right. You know, because people would see, oh, wow, look, there's somebody on their BlackBerry. And this was back when this was a new thing, so everyone was noticing you know, wow, here, look at these people with their phones. So in a similar way, uh, you know, if there was someone from, you know, like I said, another time or another culture or something who came in into our society, you know, they would come here and they'd see us and they'd say, oh, wow, you know, look at this. These people are addicted to their phones mm. because they're using them all the time. Would Would it be better? I mean, I guess, is it less addictive if you weren't using it for, if you were only using your phone to, you know, to do your business, to do work, your emails, your calendar, does it become less addictive? Like I noticed the minute I started watching Netflix on mine, I all of a sudden needed a bigger screen. My phone now weighs more. Like I probably had to get suspenders and a belt to keep it up. And um, or is, so is it the fact that we're using it for so many other things, games and social media that it's becoming so addictive or would it be as addictive with just, you know, work apps? Well, it seems, it seems like the work apps can be catchy if people are highly motivated to do their work and they're doing it on the road, you know, and they want to keep up and they want to make sure that everything is done. But at the same time, I think that people get a lot more satisfaction and enjoyment of, you know, going on Netflix or going on Facebook, you know, compared to working in a spreadsheet. Right. You know, so we're, right. we're, we're getting the social rewards, you know, through our, our social media that I think go above and beyond, you know, just pure informational rewards. And, you know, I don't I don't know how many people were addicted to electronic calculators, but given <laughs> I don't think there were any studies on it, it doesn't seem like it was a pervasive issue. Right. You know, so if you just had a, a practical utilitarian device that, you know, just did stuff that was useful Right. I don't think that people would be pulling that out every time they stopped at the red light. Right. And it's I mean, now everything it really is. It's your music. It's 
your entertainment. It's your it's everything you've got. Uh, so I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking of how I would use it with my family. What what suggestions do you have? I guess one is taking a break um, with your technology. Any other suggestions you've seen for people with families, kids? Any any recommendations? Yeah, well, you know, when everyone gets down, uh, you know, sits down at dinner, put the phones away, you know, so talk to each other. Oh, boy. Yeah. Prime prime time for social interaction. And a lot of people have, uh, you know, basically rules and schedules. So, uh, you know, it's it's tough. You know, it's it's sort of like you don't want to eliminate the phone because then, of course, the kids are just going to try to sneak off and use it. Uh, But if you limit it. You know, say, okay, well, you, you, you get an hour of screen time in the evening, but you have to do your homework first. You know, that gives them an incentive to do their work, and then they get the rewards, but, you know, it's regulated, and it's not taking over their entire evening. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? And it's, um, I guess, too, like we use ours because there's, there's a lot of great stuff that the kids can use just with their own um, – with with YouTube and research and I mean Wikipedia, the stuff these kids know and accessing data and the research they're doing. So I mean, the, I guess the benefits are there. What um, what advice to or what other recommendations and uh, what other directions are you going to now take the research just based on this last study you've done? Well, we're we're going to combine different types of research to see what people think about their phones and their experiences. So, you know, we'll be, we'll be combining our methodology. So combining observations with giving them surveys and then focus group discussions to see, you know, just how they feel about their phones and then see if we can connect these areas. So for example, we found that, you know, people, uh, you know, who are, you know, who have higher cell phone dependency, you know, are they going to be using their phones uh, quicker, you know that's a that's a research question that we'll we'll be looking at in the future, and you know we know for sure already that you know when you take the phones away, people are more likely to talk to other people. You know they they initiate conversation sooner and they spend more time in conversation than when they have their phones there. Isn't that true? Um, do you think that you know uh, this is causing? Is there and have you been able to validate any causal relationship between cell phone use, technology use, and anxiety, and increased anxiety? That's a that's a good question. Uh, you know, so anxiety is is related to these phantom experiences. Um, you know, but that's that's sort of a broader question, and I'm sure that we we see a lot of anxiety from just our high pressure world yeah and maybe the the notion of being on call you know it's like you can always be working you know that could be that could be producing anxiety you know and what you mentioned earlier about uh you know what what happens when you take the phones away you know some people do seem to be anxious like they they can't imagine what would i do <laughs> what would i do without my phone for 3 days but uh there have been times when uh, you know, like the power goes out and it's out for three days. And then after the initial shot, people realize that, oh, wow, well, isn't this great? You know, no one could have got a hold of me and it's just fine. You know, and I can relax now because I'm not I'm not on call anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Now you can take a take a breath. 
Take a breath right. and relax. Well, Daniel, we appreciate you and your great work. Keep it up. Uh, dying to hear more about what you're finding out about our cell phones and, you know, if we can ever call this thing an addiction. Seems to act like one. Seems to be one. Again, his name is Daniel Kruger, uh, assistant professor at the University of Michigan and is uh, doing everything he can to help us understand the phantom cell phone buzzes. We will take a break. When we come back, continue uh, the fun and the discussion. Plus, Caitlin Thomas will be joining us talking about sports memorabilia. We'll be back. Have you ever noticed just how much money it costs to take a family to an NBA game? Have you ever stopped to wonder why we don't really bat an eyelash at the price of our favorite college football team season season tickets? It's just, we don't even look at it. It's not even a big deal. But to Caitlin Thomas is here with us this morning to talk about why we spend endless amounts of money on sports and memorabilia and what it means about our culture. Caitlin Thomas, welcome. Good morning. I like your stocking cap. Thank you. Look like a robber. Well, I th- I must look like a man because this is a side note, but the guy at the drive-thru I went to this morning said, here you go, sir, and then have a good day, sir, to me. So. Really? Little did he know he was saying that to Miss Lehigh. Apparently I should brush my hair. Maybe he a- thought you were a royal. It's been a long a year noble. since Miss Lehigh, apparently. Yeah. Anyways. The queen has fallen. The queen has fallen. Oh, boy. Go ahead, sir. It. <laughs> Happy March Madness. Matt, how's yeah. your bracket doing? Uh, my bracket, I didn't actually finish it. I started a bracket, mm-hmm. and then I started realizing, I don't care You don't about care this. too much about this. That's good, because a lot of people would disagree with you. They care yeah, a lot about this. They cared this. a lot. By the way, how are their brackets? I, I don't Blown know. I didn't, I didn't make one this year. But I'm just fascinated, constantly fascinated, at the amount of time, energy, and money we put into the sports Community, oh, yeah. whatever oh, it's you want to call it. Yeah. Like, for example, earlier in February, so earlier last month, a bunch of Kobe Bryant merchandise was stolen from like a big display case. They yeah. got a bunch of his memorabilia. And the people were caught, but it just got me thinking like, they did that. Why would they risk so much for something like a, for a jersey? Because that yeah. jersey could probably go for more than stealing a necklace from a jewelry shop. Really? It's it it's worth that his jersey that he had in there was worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars. What do you think a Carl's a Carlos Boozer, Boozer splint for his finger is worth? Well, if you go on eBay or like Amazon they they sell weird I know. stuff like that. People buy he it, man. He threw his splint and my son caught it. Ew. And I'm like that's so gross. Oh, you need to take that splint back. Yeah, that's okay. gross. But um you know, I mean, like, the basketball jersey material and, like, everything it's made out of, you can buy, like, a plain one with nothing on it for, like, $5, right? Yeah, right. No, and then all of a sudden, hold on, hold on. What jersey? Just, like, a basketball. No, they're, like, $50. No, no, but I'm talking, like, for my little brother, if he wants to, like, play in, like, a rec league. Like, oh. you can go on Amazon and buy, like, reversible. Oh, you can buy, yeah, like, a, yeah, yeah, a like, cheap, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, but, like, if you want to stamp, like, a prof- like an NBA yeah, player's you want name a, on right. it with, the, with his team, uh-huh. it goes up to over hundreds of dollars. Totally like, it's crazy. Just, like, it's, it's not like it costs that much money and to stamp. And it's not stamp. like that, that, it's not really LeBron's jersey. No, it's no, just there's, got his they number make on hundreds it. of these right. and everybody's wearing them. So it's just, it just, it just kills. So I looked up an article. Okay. There is a psychology behind this. What's why it, what's we collect why? and Talk. buy this. Yeah. So Go ahead, sir. I mean, the <laughs> origins, hey, of collecting go way back. Humans have a deeply ingrained need to hoard things that help us survive. 
the ah. next winter or natural disaster. So that's where, you know, collecting kind of got started. Um, but some players, some player collectors are like the biblical Noah. That's what this article said. Collecting one of each type or species of oh, card. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what, though? I, I agree with the survival aspect of it because if I'm bleeding out – one of those baseball cards, it's going to could... absorb really well. That's what I was yeah. thinking. It just a jersey. Really... Just grab it. I if mean, you're bleeding out, I'll grab a jersey. You can really use that to survive. Yeah. Um, it, it says collecting sports memorabilia helps us find a tangible connection to the games we love. Yeah. You know? Most collectors today started out as kids collecting baseball cards. Did you do that as a kid? I did. That was mostly for the gum, though. Yeah. Right. I was really more for the gum. but For the gum. But yeah. so th- those adults that have held on to that, that are still paying hundreds of dollars to buy Kobe Bryant's jersey. Yeah. Like, this is why. And then um, they, those who collect sp- sports memorabilia see our cardboard memories as having sentimental value. Yeah. They're emotionally attached to this stuff. They spur happy memories or an important moment of life shared with his favorite star or team. So it makes them feel this personal connection to the team, like they're actually a part of the team. Yeah, you feel like you belong. Right. We talked about this last year about football. It was they win versus I won. Uh So if they collect it and they're wearing the jersey, it's like, oh, I did it, even though they really did nothing but pay into the the system. They're not even – yeah. Uh, some of us like to invest in things that we know. So while stocks and bonds may be complex to many, yeah. right? Investing in certain players or items is something we can do with confidence. We do you it, feel confidence in that? Well, but I know people that do that, right? And they they keep it, and then they I know people that do that with Legos. No, oh, it could really they make could a be fortune anything, on probably. Legos. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I just find this this fascinating. Um, in the past year, hobby newcomers have moved into the market buying rare sports memorabilia like the 1920 Babe Ruth jersey or some of the incredible find of century-old cards discovered in an Ohio house last summer. Oh, really? So people are coming in and now they're trying to – not only are we buying, you know, spending hundreds on this current stuff. Now we're going back. They bought Babe Ruth's jersey, which is cool if you think about it. That would be a oh, cool yeah. thing to have. I'd take that. But like, But why? But why? Like it's it's a baseball jersey, but this explains why we're attached to the sentimental value. It's um, you're not just attached; you're you care, and it makes you feel like you belong to the gang. Yes, and we all want to feel like we belong. So whether these sports fans want to admit it or not, you too want to feel a sense of belonging. See, that's great. Thanks Good for giving us brackets. the insights. <laughs> Thank you, and that's why we love these pro sports, and we want to. Steal their I'm all jerseys. about it. Just just be careful when it comes to what you're spending careful. your money on. Right. It doesn't last forever. No, you're right. Thank you, Mom. Mm. Thank you, sir. Great show. Caitlin Thomas is her name. Also being called Sir his today. Name, his name. His name. We'll be back, my friends. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, good to be with you. We uh, have an honored guest joining us uh, right now. His name, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. He was out yesterday with a little uh, little food poisoning. 
but he's back with us today. Jeffrey, how are you doing, my good friend? I am uh, never going to Chili's again. I mean, Blilly's. You want your baby backs, don't you? Back. You want my baby back, baby back, baby back. But I told you, I mean, th- for me, this would be like the ideal diet to just feel sick every day. Well, people. So yeah. then I have no appetite, and therefore I'm not going to binge on foods I shouldn't be eating. Yeah, that's not healthy, though. And we'll our 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 health evangelist today, I'm sure, will support us on that. That you've got to be healthy, um, healthier than than just you can't be sick just to, to stay skinny and slim. Well, if you if you're you getting just if you're getting married get or you're getting ready for the summer season, just go to Chili's. <laughs> Not don't name It'll the name. It'll set you on the right path. The, the it's Blilly's. We're calling it Blilly's. The ideal project or product would be some sort of virus, like the flu virus, or some sort of uh, a diet friendly option. Yeah, some sort of I don't know botulism on a stick or something. Ooh, it something is. Something just makes you, and it's on a stick day. It's on a stick day. Today so, is on a stick. So if you have some sort of food poisoning on a stick, that uh, could be a, a new the like, next diet craze. Can't they just give you like a twenty four hour bug on a stick? Yeah. I'm going to have the executives at Blilly's heads – I'm going to have their heads on a stick. <laughs> well, you don't know. I mean maybe it came from something else. No. You know how I know? How? Well, you probably don't want the gruesome details. OK. You're right. Let's just say when I belched, oh, ugh, that's it ugh. tasted ah. of the salad. No, but that's not – That's not proof. <laughs> your honor. <laughs> but when you brush your teeth, you gargle with uh, mouthwash, you eat no, something else that's, that's not, very flavorful, and all you can taste still is the salad. I know, but that's because you consumed the salad, but that doesn't mean that, that maybe, you know, maybe there, maybe you had a cookie that day. Wrong. Okay. Maybe you had a biscuit from- Wrong. Maybe a bagel, a morning bagel that was a little off. You're wrong. Okay. Boy, he sounds a lot more like Trump ever since he had the stomach thing. Yeah. What well, whatever whatever happened to you, we are glad you're back. Be sure to join us today for lunch. Uh, Terry made a tossed salad that he's going to be sharing with everybody. It's going to be great. Thanks for bringing that, Terry. No problem. Just sure to help. Is there any <laughs> shrimp in it? No. <laughs> Good. Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us. We're going to be talking cardio. So do you need the cardio workout or should you have a weight workout? Which is better? Weight for losing weight. Cardio. For losing uh, yeah. Yeah, weight. Our, um, fat. Our own Supreme Court Justice, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, at 70-plus years old, 80 years old. She's going to be on the show? She actually does both cardio and weights. She's not going to be on the show. We couldn't get her on. She's busy. She's in session. She's in session, and she's got to work out. Hmm. Right. She's getting ripped, by the way. Did you know that above the Supreme Court chambers is a basketball court? No. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I was reading that last week. There's a basketball court above the Supreme Who Court. Who uses chamber. it? There, there used to be some judges that would play. Other, there was another judge that recently retired that had like a yoga class. Hold on, I gotta go check this. Yeah, out. type it in. There was a yoga class, and apparently the yoga class has continued, and they just kicked him out because they need it for other reasons. Wow. And, and that, and there's no justices doing yoga. It's just a group coming into the Supreme Court to do yoga. Matt's not really looking up pictures of that. He's just looking up more pictures of. Shrimp salad to yeah. try to gross me out. No. I thought you'd have a. I thought you'd have a stronger aversion to it, but apparently there it you is. don't. They call it the as it says there the highest court in the land. The highest court in the land. This is the basketball court 
directly over the Supreme Court chambers. Isn't that odd? Very odd. Where, why would you put a basketball court above? Well, I guess, yeah, you'd think, wouldn't would think somebody o- quit bouncing? But wouldn't the there be offices or something? up? I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like an odd place. you put yeah, that in the basement, It's a basement you? thing. Yeah. Sounds like. So there's a basketball court above the Supreme Court. Hmm. Boy, I did not know that. Yeah. See, it is the, the highest court on the land. The things you learn on this show. Again, this is how we want to help you in life. Give you the little facts. Just, I mean, they may seem like shrimpy things. Yeah. But they're not. They're not. Did you know that there's a pool on the roof of one of these buildings here on campus? No. I mean, that's the rumor, but... So there isn't, but... Well, yeah, there's not a pool. it can't... It can, can neither be confirmed nor denied, so that means it might as well be true. People are telling him. He read it in a newspaper. It was the National Enquirer. But if it, can't, if it can't be denied, then it could very well be true. There you go. That's how government yeah. runs now. Yeah. <laughs> if it's... Yeah. That's a great point, Jeff. Good to have you back. And feeling so much better. And you look svelte. Yeah, I lost about 10 pounds. There you go. That's great. <laughs> the 24-hour... Ten pound yeah. guaranteed yeah. weight loss diet. Mm-hmm. Sick on a stick. Sick on a stick. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Representative Adam Schiff of California, the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee, said Monday that after much consideration, he believes Representative David Nunez, a Republican from California, the committee's chairman should recuse himself from further involvement in the Russian investigation. Schiff came to the conclusion after Nunez admitted he went to the White House to meet with a source that told him about the incidental collection of communications from members of Trump's President Trump's transition team. He later filled in Trump on what he had learned. Representative Nunez on his trip to the White House. It's actually pretty common, uh, probably uh, at least once a week, if not uh, more than that. Uh, we have to go to the executive branch in order to read classified intelligence. Number one, I wasn't uh, sneaking on. It wasn't at night. And I actually stopped and talked to several people along the way. Many foreign dignitaries were there. Some I recognized. I said hello, had conversations with them. Uh, so nobody was sneaking around. Uh, all it was was uh, uh, just a place where I had to go to be able to review this information. So the spy novel that people were trying to turn right. this into turned into just some It's guy just a reading around. room yeah. with high-tech protections so that he can read top secret information that belongs to that department. So, yeah. So Nunez, his ranking member, is asking for him to step down. Today, uh, Nunez announces that he's going to suspend all uh, entire committee meetings where they have the entire intelligence committee there. Yeah. For whatever reason. So we'll see how that rolls out. He uh, Nunez was also a member of Trump's transition team. Schiff, who's worked with uh, Nunez for several years, said that the recommendation is not one he makes lightly. None of the committee's members on either side of the aisle have seen the documents that Nunez claimed to see on his little field trip to the White House. No one else has seen them. No. So he's saying they're very important, and then he's not showing well, can't, anybody. Can't the Schiffer picker-upper yeah. go over and see the same documents? I don't know. Because he's... he's because you'd have the to know chair. you'd have to know who this source was that's unnamed that oh, has the documents. Okay. Yeah. So that's where the question went to the White House yesterday. Are you concerned about leaks in the White House? And they're like, Oh no, no, this this one's good. Yeah, this right. is a good leak. Right. On Tuesday, President Trump will sign that's today, will sign an executive order that says he will roll back many of the 
Former President Barack Obama's measures aimed to fight global warming. Trump will ask the Environmental Protection Agency to review the Clean Power Plan, which limits the amount of greenhouse gas emissions from power plants and has long been opposed by Republican governors. He will also lift a ban on new coal leases on federal lands, which Obama put into place three years in uh, 2016 for the program could be modernized. A senior White House official informed reporters about the executive order Monday night and at one point denied knowing that climate change can have a devastating impact on the economy. Hmm. This according to the Associated Press. Okay. So that's going forward today. Flint, Michigan will replace 18,000 contaminated water lines by 2020. Yes. According to a Monday court filing, the state of Michigan agreed to foot the bill for the replacement, which will remove lead-contaminated pipes from the city. The state has budgeted $87 million for the replacement with an extra $10 million in reserve in case the project requires extra funding, which, of course, it will because that's how these things work. Right. And finally, Tesla and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk is setting his sights high on something new. What? Neural lace. Pardon? Neural lace technology, which involves implanting tiny electrodes into the brain that could one day help humans function at a higher level. His new company, Neuralink, will pursue developing these cranial computers which at first would most likely be used to treat people with brain disorders like epilepsy and major oh, cool. depression. While Musk would not comment to the Wall Street Journal about Neuralink, several people with information about the company said that he is actively setting it up and could have a significant leadership role. Musk has said it's important for humanity not to be left behind as advances are made in artificial intelligence. Yeah. As the computers get smarter, we need to get smarter. Totally. When, um, By the way, when... Jeff heard that about neural lace. Yes. He came up with a really great, I think, innovation um, uh, called colon lace. Ooh. Talk about that, Jeff, for yeah. a minute. Must I? <laughs> I just thought it was innovative that you thought so since good. you had the stomach flu, wouldn't it be great if your colon could recognize through advancing technologies and a layer of colon lace that <laughs> you, um, you could turn your colon off? Yeah, if only it worked that way. I thought it was a great idea. Hmm. Apparently you don't want to share it. No. Until I guess you get it. Yeah, you want to copyright it first. Oh, yeah. Trademark it. Mm -hmm. I understand. It's all on the down low. Oh, yeah. It's all on the quiet. Let's keep it on the down low. Hey, um, talk about mysteries. Mm. This, if this Nunez thing wasn't enough mystery yeah. for you. Which it isn't. It's absolutely no mystery, apparently. No, it's a mystery. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Because he, I bet he even wore a, like a, I bet he wore a, a trench coat. A trench coat. Okay, it was in the middle of the bright, sunshiny day. Right. That's what he said. So why was he wearing a trench coat? But he apparently he just walked into the office building and yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, apparently in Ohio, mm. A one steak sauce bottles keep turning up inside an Ohio library. That's odd. A tasty mystery is brewing at the Ohio Library after more than two dozen empty steak bottles. Ooh. Matt Townsend steak bottles? <laughs> Donald Trump steak bottles. Empty steak sauce bottles were found behind the books. Mm. Jill Ralston, a spokesperson for the Avon Lake uh, Public Library, said employees found the first bottle of A1 steak sauce shoved inside the newspapers in January. They have since found another 30 bottles. Oh, wow. There's no label, and the labels, they've all been peeled off, but you can tell that they had labels on them, Ralston told. So that means there's the maybe press. like pieces of glue yeah. or paper still stuck to it? Okay. They're, de they're dishwasher clean, hmm. and they're dry inside and out. 
and just a hint of A1 sauce still lingering in the bottle. Oh, wow. So they brought in a, a trucker to do some forensic work to make sure that it was actually yeah. A1. Yeah, that there's A1 for sure. <laughs> Employees are perplexed because the bottle uh, the bottles have been turning up in random places throughout the library. They're like, what's going on? Wow. It's a bottle caper. Anyway, they can't figure it out. They're finding them behind shelves. They're finding them everywhere. Sometimes, she said, we find multiples. Wow. It's a very line. There have been times we found as many as three or four a day. What's going on? That's got to be the most exciting thing that happens in that library. Oh, it's huge. 40, they're up to 30 to 40 bottles. Wow. So if any of you have information on this. If they can get like a dozen more, that's like a dollar or two dollars maybe in recycling. Absolutely. <laughs> Plus, I, I think the bigger thing is where's all the steak going? Right. They're not finding steak, but they're finding steak sauce bottles. Do you ever find leftover steak anywhere? It's no. always eaten completely. It seems like it's always the shrimp that's left over. Mm, very true. Know what I mean, Jeff? No, it, it uh, yeah, that was gone and then it reappeared. Took a bow, if you will. Did you say bowel? Bowel. Oh, I see. It just came up and said, thank you very much. I, thank I you. Was, very I was much. a very good salad. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> I'll be here all night. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, no offense. I feel bad that you were sick. But I'm happy that you're here. You didn't feel as bad as I did, though. Oh, no. Nope. That's so true. But also, I don't look as good as you do now. <laughs> you got your color back. I lost 10 pounds, and the wrinkles are gone. Yeah. That was some pretty amazing sickness because your wrinkles are gone. Ah, oh, crazy. We will take a break, my friends. When we come back, our health evangelist is in the building. Dr. Ron Hager will be talking to us. Cardio training versus weight training, which is better. Better to have muscle, better to have lung capacity. Interesting stuff. Stick with us. We're going to help you live longer. Welcome back, friends. That is the music for our health evangelist. Dr. Ron Hager is here. Ron is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. He is called the. He is an expert in chronic disease prevention. We called him the chronic chronic, chronic disease preventor. Um, but then that got to be a lot of pressure. I, I think it was death preventer. Too. You were the death preventer. You prevented people from dying. Can you prevent people from getting the stomach flu or uh, food poisoning? Yeah, don't eat certain kinds of foods. Like what? Like a shrimp salad? Shrimp salad would be yeah. good, yeah. yeah. Nobody should eat a shrimp salad okay. except Jeff uh, did. So, um, Dr. Ron, we wanted to know cardio versus weightlifting because well, cause you, you've only got so much time. Only have so much time. And now that everyone's confusing us with all of these different diet fads, different – even Jeff's starting his new diet. Have you heard of it? It's yeah. called Sick on a Stick. Sick on a Stick. And it's, a, it's just a 24-hour bug. Yeah. And it makes you sick, but you lose like 10 pounds. 
Yeah, that's not a bad. That's not a bad way to go. Yeah. The key is keeping it off. That's it. That'll yeah. be hard. Yeah. Because he already wants to go to McDonald's. Well, this question of which kinds of ex- which kind of exercise is the best uh, is an interesting one, and I actually get asked that question a lot. And we're talking about this specifically related to weight loss. So I guess the question is: Is there a kind of exercise that's best for weight loss? And yeah. in fact, there is, according to some research. Uh, but I want you to kind of think about this in a different way. <clears throat> a person's weight gain, uh, you know, could be due to many different things. Right. You know, and, and one of those things could be a lack of exercise or just a lack of expending calories. I mean, and, it could be your diet. And it could be that you're consuming too many yeah. calories. So, I mean, there are just – I mean, and it, and it could be a hormone related issue it could be an organ related issue it could, we talked about, i think we talked about stress didn't we it could we be talked stress. About stress so it can be lots of things so one of the concerns i have is when i mean i understand that researchers have to research things that are kind of specific you know when you introduce a lot of variability into a study it becomes very difficult to right. find out what's actually going on yet the human organism and especially how they interact with their environment, how they behave, the choices they make. That's very complex. Right, totally. So so I guess I just want to, you know, exercise a little caution here because a lot of times you see things, hear things, read things where, especially when it has to do with weight loss because we're an overweight and an obese society, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's, it is a problem worldwide. But there's so much marketing and advertising out there as if there's just this one thing that hmm. can fix it. Right, right. And that's just not how it well, works. Well, because that's what they're marketing, right? That's right. what they're selling you is, yeah, you need you need this cardio band that helps you do the cardio or whatever, the, right. the weight band. I mean, or, or, uh, or, or this kind of juice or supplement yeah. or, you know, there, there's a recently discovered fruit from the jungles of Thailand <laughs> that has been shown yeah. to melt the fat away, mm-hmm. you know, as if it's this... You know, oh, I got to have that fruit. Well, I heard that same fruit could regenerate a hand or an arm if you lost it. Yeah, probably. So anyway, there was a study that came out a, a while ago, about five years ago, um, in, uh, in in a in a in a well known and prestigious journal, the Journal of Applied Physiology. Um, some researchers wanted to get to the bottom of the question uh, whether uh, aerobic exercise, which is you know kind of the continuous. Uh, low to moderate intensity things that you do could be swimming, cycling, jogging, uh, stationary bike, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those kinds of things, whether that was any different or had any different effect on weight loss than resistance training, which would be things like weightlifting, yeah. you know, pumping the iron. And, and, uh, and, and in fact, uh, they, they, they did this study, and they had three groups. They had a group. Now, all of the people in the study were obese, so they had potential to lose weight, and it was a, and it was a well-controlled study. And they, they had one group, random assignment, so they had one group that just did aerobic exercise, continuous steady-state activity, one group that did resistance training or weight training, and a third group that did a combination of the two. Hmm. And, in fact, uh, when it came to just... Uh, losing weight, they found that uh, the aerobic training group, aerobic exercise group, lost the most weight. Did they really? And the resistance training group lost the least, and the combined of the two lost the next most. Second most, huh? Uh, Yeah, second most. In fact, 
In one of the tables uh, in this article, in this uh, research study, uh, they looked at um, baseline body weight and uh, the aerobic training uh, in, in kilograms lost the most. Um, the, it was a close second for the aerobic combined with the resistance training. But you have to also wonder, you know, when a person loses weight, you want to know what kind of weight they're losing. Right. Is it actually fat mass? Now, one of the really cool things about this study is that the – I mean, this is no surprise, but the resistance training group lost the least amount of weight. Um, right. Well, they, but, but they gained muscle probably, but, right? But they so, gained muscle. Now, is that a bad thing? No, that's a great thing it seems like unless yeah. you're going in the wrong – unless your weight keeps going up. But doesn't muscle burn fat? So it seems like it would be smart to have both, you know? Yeah. So – so when it comes to percent body fat, which is the actual, you know, you as an individual are, you know, your mass is 100 percent. What percent of all your mass is body fat? Hmm. Um, you know, the, the baseline body fat percent uh, in this study, uh, you know, was around, you know, was slightly less than 40 percent. So, yeah. I mean, these people were fat. Yeah, they, yeah. They were obese individuals. And the group that had the biggest change in percent fat was the aerobic plus the resistance training group Okay, because they lost some fat and gained some muscle. And that changes the percentage more. So over just... time, that might bode better over time. Sure, especially because and, – and, you know, I know I can relate to this, but, uh, you know, there was a time in my life when I was stronger than mm-hmm. I am now. Yeah. I mean, you kind of hit your peak, you know, in your mid mid to late 20s. Yeah. And then, you know, if you don't do something to preserve your strength, it can, it can go down fairly quickly. And especially in the elderly, they can lose muscle mass. Now, another important concept here that's not really discussed too much in this paper, uh, but it has to do with uh, basal metabolism or resting metabolic rate. This is just your, your uh, daily, uh, you know, energy requirement just to subsist, just to keep your body going. Yeah. Um, and the... The, the the variability in basal metabolism, you know, is is pretty dramatic across you know individuals, but most of the variability can be accounted for by lean body mass, mm. muscle tissue. So muscle tissue is more metabolically active. So if a person's able to preserve their lean body mass, then their resting metabolism stays higher okay. over over their lifetime. Mm. So one of the things that happens, one of the reasons people put on weight is they lose lean tissue. So their metabolic needs, their energy needs go down, but they don't really change uh, their dietary pattern. Yeah. If anything, it gets worse, uh, you know, or they overconsume even more. So that so that's one explanation for why people put on weight slowly over time. As their strength goes down because they're losing lean tissue, their their energy requirement goes down, but if your even if your dietary intake stayed the same, you could see yeah, you'd be totally. in a, you'd be in a positive energy balance and plus and you'd start putting doesn't on weight. doesn't cardio or doesn't weight work and resistance work doesn't it impact your bone mass and doesn't it impact sure. yeah. calcium growth yeah. or now obviously this study was just looking at what's right. best for losing weight right but that's that's why I said you know you kind of got to be a little cautious when you interpret these kinds of studies into the real world for an individual 
because you don't want a person to just say, oh, well, that's it. You know, yeah, that's what if, I got to do. If I, if I want to lose weight, I'm just doing aerobic exercise. Yeah. And if you do it at the exclusion of other types of exercise like strength training, yeah. then you're going to miss out on you know, some of the potential gains that would come from that that maybe have nothing to do with losing weight right. but affect your health in many other ways. In fact, let's, let's take a break and come back. I want you to talk about that because you always bring up it's still your body and it's still what you're going – you will be feeling it. You will feel the impact of this. So, I mean, some of this is we need to know our own body. <laughs> Yeah. And know what we need and, and know that it doesn't matter what everyone else is telling us. We can talk about that. We got we to run our lives okay. and run our bodies. Stick with us. More with Dr. Ron Hager up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. There it is, folks, the um, the wonderful music bed that we only play for one person, Dr. Ron Hager, the health evangelist on the Matt Townsend Show. He is a member of the faculty here, associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. His job is to keep you from dying. I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm, I'm mostly concerned about myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm selfish when it comes to that. You're kind of selfish that way. Yeah. Uh, you've been talking to us about um, weight loss, cardio, exercising versus, um, or yeah, doing a- aerobic exercise versus weightlifting, resistance training. You're suggesting be careful because anytime you read research, you got to know what what they were studying and what they found and what it, how it applies to you. Exactly. Especially the how it. Uh, you know, you especially need to know how it translates, you know, to your In life. your world. Yeah, and, and to your, into your individual world. Yeah. Because there is no one-size-fits-all anything. Just because a piece of research was done and it came up with some specific findings, uh, you know, that's, that's all great. I mean, that's all just one of the pieces of this massive health puzzle that, yeah. you know, everybody's trying to solve. Uh, but you've got to be careful and, and try and figure out how this is going to work for you. Now, just to summarize, you know, or just to refresh what this study found, the those who did aerobic training lost the most weight. So yeah. those that just were doing some strong cardio consistently lost the most weight. Yeah, those who did the resistance training actually gained lean body mass. But So they gained muscle mass. They gained muscle mass. And so they didn't seem to lose as much weight, but they gained better muscle. They gained muscle instead of fat. Yeah, and so – if a person wanted to, I mean, some people are so desperate to lose weight, they don't care what it is. Just they don't care if it's it water, you know, fluid. Like uh, if you have to make weight as a wrestler, right, or whatever, it doesn't matter, right? You just but, right, but 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 you know, most people should be concerned about if they're losing weight. What is the actual weight they're losing? And the group that was combined that did resistance training plus aerobic training, they actually lost the most fat. Yeah. Okay, and they also lost the most. They they dropped the the most percent body fat. That's great insight. Yeah. So, so I, I, you know, that, that's some of the keys. Now, there have been other studies. I wanted to mention this point because, you know, it, it's not just about the exercise. There's so many other factors when we're talking about, you know, why a person gains weight or how a person loses weight. Uh, there, there was a study done uh, some years ago. Actually, there were multiple studies that came out of this, this research. It was called the Diabetes Prevention Program. There was another study done called the Dean Ornish Heart Disease yeah. Reversing Program. That was really popular. Yeah. 
Uh, there was uh, one called CHIP, the Coronary Health Improvement Program. Mm-hmm. Uh, shrimp. Then, uh, there was the shrimp diet. The shrimp diet. But speaking of diet, there was also the dietary approaches to stop hypertension or the DASH diet. Oh, that's right. Many that's people popular, have heard yeah. that term. Okay. So all of these programs, if you go and read any of the published studies that came out of these research programs, um, they all used some aspect of nutrition and exercise yeah. programs to lower the risks of diabetes, of heart disease, of high blood pressure. None of them were about weight loss. They were all about reducing risk of these diseases by, by living a healthy lifestyle, hmm. modifying diet, exercising regularly. So they all did, in fact, reduce the risks of the various target diseases that they were right, looking at. Right. But all of the participants in these studies also lost weight. They did. Yeah. So you could say that weight loss is just a healthy lifestyle side effect. So, so you, you could, it's interesting because you can get to weight loss by trying to prevent diseases or sure. you can get to weight loss by exercising or by watching your diet or by just making it part of your lifestyle and, and wanting to feel good. Right. Now, let, I, I don't want to underemphasize the role of exercise because it is important. Uh, in a meta-analysis uh, from a study done in 2001 published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, now a meta-analysis is where the researchers look at a whole bunch of studies that yeah. have been done and they try and figure out what the overall effect is. And they looked at uh, some studies that conducted uh, research using what are called VLEDs, very low-energy diets. <clears throat> These are usually clinically supervised and they're they're typically less than 800 calories a day. Wow. So that... I mean, even the leanest person you know is going to lose weight oh, yeah. on, on that kind of a diet. So these are used in extreme circumstances, you know, when a person desperately needs to lose weight because, you know, it, their their life is in jeopardy. Um, they also looked at hypoenergetic balanced diets. Hypo just means less than, so less energy than you need according to your daily requirement. Mm-hmm. These are usually about twelve to 1,500 calories a day. But they also looked at studies that included some exercise, lesser amounts, and they looked at studies that include greater amounts of exercise. Now, it's no surprise that the the participants in the very low-energy diets lost the most weight. Right. But weight loss is one thing. Weight loss maintenance is really the indication of success, right? Yeah. Well, the the very low-energy diets, now obviously that's not a, a lifestyle that you can maintain. Um, so while they... While they lost, you know, the most weight, uh, they didn't keep the most weight off. The group that kept the most weight off was the group, the the studies that required more rather than less exercise. Huh. Okay, so um, they they maintained a fifteen kilogram weight loss, uh, whereas the the dietary dietary approaches alone only maintained about a two to seven kilogram weight loss of the original weight that was lost. So. According to this meta-analysis, a review of many, many studies, weight loss maintenance is 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 is, is predicted by more rather than less exercise. Okay. So that's a key component. Yeah. Now another diet, exer- and exercise. Yeah. Now another uh, kind of really cool thing. There, there's a, a a program that was started back in 1994 called the National Weight Control Registry. Uh, it's a group of researchers that have tracked more than 10,000 people who have had Success. In fact, they, they call these people weight control masters hmm. because they, they lost an average of 66 pounds. Wow. And kept it off 
for five years or more. Oh, interesting. So that's that, that's a that's a weight true indicator masters. of success. So they call them weight loss masters, and what they do is they try and figure out well, what is it that these weight control masters are doing? Are there similarities or characteristics that they have in common, or maybe there are even some unique things to an individual? But what are they doing that has allowed them to be yeah. as, as successful as they are? Well, one of the things, uh, one of the characteristics of these weight loss masters uh, was that. They, they they typically had a, a low-fat diet um, and a high level of physical activity. They were averaging uh, walking 28 miles a week. Holy cow. Or about an hour and a half a day. Just So they have some continuous cardio, yeah. physical, physical exercise. Yeah, so you go back to that meta-analysis yeah. where it showed that, that exercise was the strongest predictor of weight loss maintenance. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you can do some things that might be a little extreme. I don't advise that, but, you know, it's it's pointless to say don't do it because right. everybody wants to lose weight now. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe there are some things you can do to, you know, knock some weight off pretty quick. Typically, those types of approaches do not facilitate maintenance. You because need to think long term. You got to think long term. And expending energy in exercise tends to be one of the best ways uh, to do that now, another point that I want to mention is, you know, you can you can exercise for a couple of hours, right, and burn a few hundred calories, which is great because that can actually put you in a negative energy balance and facilitate weight loss. But how quickly can you replace even more than that three hundred calories by eating something? Yeah, just go have a you just go have one Coke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you've just killed your workout. Yeah, you've just killed two hours worth of energy expenditure yeah. in, in about a minute. Okay, <laughs> so you you also have to understand the role that, you know, energy intake and energy expenditure yeah. can play. And, and so it, it's not about uh, how to manage things in an instant. Mm-hmm. It's about how to manage things for a lifetime. And you know, and you can call it whatever you want. Sometimes I call it, you know, uh, you, you know that your lifestyle is principle based. I say that because a lot of people feel strongly about whatever principles they follow in their life. Right. You know, some people would even die rather than violate their principles. Well, what if you had a, a principle or a standard for your lifestyle? You know, you're like, well, I just I don't eat that, or I just don't do that. You know, yeah. or I I always make sure I do this. It's a principle to me. You know, you know. So I maybe that can be encouraging to some yeah, people. Yeah, Now another another thing that people can do, you know, social support is is a key. None of us are just all by ourselves here. You know, we we have friends, we have family, and everything we do impacts the people around us, and everything people around us do impacts us. Right. And so if you can cultivate some kind of social support network, family, friends, even pets, you know, can be yeah, helpful. Yeah, if you got to go walk the dog. Be- because, well, not, I mean, just for emotional support, encouragement, sure. you, know, uh, you know, ability to stick to things when it comes to your healthy and active lifestyle. Uh, now, th- that's the idea of principles. You know, it, it allows you to commit yeah. to doing things, right? Um, and and you got to find your own approach. So here we've reviewed a study that says, "Oh, aerobic yeah, exercise do it this way." But but that might not work for everybody. Mm-hmm. So you know you can take all the information, but you you can't expect it to work for you. Some people, you know, I could say, "Hey, the best thing you could do, Matt, to lose weight is go run five miles every day." Right. No. Well, if you don't like running, yeah. 
you might do it for a little while because, you know, a, a, an expert told you right. that it that works. was what was best. Right. But but if you don't like it, you're not going to keep doing it. Right. So you have to at some point realize that there is no one-size-fits-all, and everybody has got to figure this out for themselves. And, and build your model, build your role, build your ability to to get your, your results done. Figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are yeah. and go for it. Dr. Ron Hager, see, that's why we call him the health evangelist, helping us live longer and lead healthier lives. We will take a break and come back. When we come back, our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation will be with us. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show it's time to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be coming up on their show in about 12 minutes. Hello, gentlemen. Your math is off again, Matt. It's 11 minutes now. Actually, 10 <sighs> minutes and 53 seconds. Oh, see, my clock is That's all right. so off. Hey, did you guys hear that show there that by Samuel L. Jackson? Hiss. Hiss. I never thought I'd hear any. Yeah. Snakes. Snakes. quote from that movie on oh, yeah. BYU Radio. Oh, yeah. Hey, it, that what, yeah that did you hear that yeah it sounds worse than it really is if you actually listen to it now um, I'm just thinking about the commercial steaks on a plane with Charles Barkley and Spike Lee yeah. and Samuel L. Jackson this what is are you different eating? where are we yeah <laughs> so. steaks, on a, steaks on a plane you're going there um, this was snakes in a car it's a different it's a different show it's a good one though don't get me wrong hey uh, I don't know if you guys heard Jeff Simpson's got he had the he had a little stomach um, bug. That he picked up at a at a, a restaurant lilies. that rhymes with lilies. Mm. Um, but it's so I want to know: Have you guys ever have you guys ever had food poisoning? Yes, it's the worst. And what food were you not able to then go back and eat? Oh, I've, I've, since, well, it's true. There was a certain item at Taco Bell that yeah. they got gotcha. you. We went to a specific restaurant whose restaurant name I will withhold in Heber. Okay. And choo choo! <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, I think I've been there. <laughs> no, I I love eating there, but I had yeah, I had a choo incident. Yeah. Did so you can't go back and eat at that? You can't eat that one meal. I don't even remember what I got, so no, okay. I'm going to go back. Yeah, you're, you'll you'll go back for sure. Yeah. How about you? Um, I I I can I, I there's a place that makes taco salads that um that I won't name the name. But it's very, very popular in Utah with barbecue, barbacoa, mm. pork. I think I know where you're going taco. with that. Oh, and I, I can't eat those very easily okay. anymore. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but so good, though. By the way, Jeff's was, Jeff's was a shrimp salad. Oh, don't do it, Jeff. Shrimp yeah. salad's interesting. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. He lost 12 pounds. Well, Jeff's... Well, there's some good to that, then. Yeah. Jeff's, you know, 33 or... Yeah. Now he, or he's invented a brand new um, diet. It's called Sick on a Stick. Oh, boy. <laughs> and so whenever you want to lose, like, you know, 10 pounds, it makes you sick for 24 hours. You just suck on this thing on a stick, and then next thing you know, you're sick. Hey, you want to lose weight fast? I've got a cure-all <laughs> for everyone. Have you tried sick on a stick? <laughs> it's to die for. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> I guarantee it. I do declare. <laughs> you you best be getting George sick. George Foreman needs to be in on that advertising campaign. Totally. I guarantee 
guarantee it. You want to lose 12 pounds? I guarantee it. You will get sick. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's all fun, Jeff. It's all good. Hey, um, so what's uh, what's coming up on your show today? You're still doing the show, right? Uh, what happens in Vegas Viva affects BYU. Vegas. Hold on. Oh, like, Viva, uh, what, Viva but what's, what? Las Vegas. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah, you, Ethel Merman. That was great. Hey, um, that was that was some serious pipage. What what happens in Vegas that BYU needs to worry about? Oh, it's not that they're not worried, worried about no, it. It actually helps BYU. Really? Great. Raiders yes. to Vegas. How does this affect yes. BYU football? It affects them. The Mormons founded awesome. Vegas, and they're going back to claim what's rightfully theirs. They've been kind of pushed out, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, no. There's a lot of uh, connection with the Raiders moving to Vegas, and it affects BYU football. We'll tell you how in multiple Ooh, ways coming excellent. up. Yeah, yeah. Plus... David Nixon, former Oakland Raider, will join the show today to tell us what he learned from BYU spring football, Taysom Hill's pro day. Taysom, of course, is his brother-in-law. And is he concerned after Tanner Mingham's last two quarterbacking performances? Plus, Matt, Hmm. second baseman on the baseball team, Brendan Anderson, will come on. Mr. Anderson. As BYU plays Utah tonight in baseball. Holy cow. And me versus Ty Detmer. What? In what? I impersonate Ty. Oh, we wow. went and shot a between-the-lines segment with Lauren Frankham and BYU football players. I try and stump them behind a curtain. Is it me or is it Ty? <gasps> How fun is that? I got that? some guys. Did you? Yeah, so that's coming up. Did you? Did did, did Ty think that you were him? No, because okay. I was sitting next to Ty. But... <laughs> oh, that would have been fun. <laughs> that would have been fun. You should have tried it on Ty. Nate well, or Ty's wife? I have, actually, uh, at the... At SeaWorld. I and, did. She, and she validated it. Hold on. Said, you went to SeaWorld with the Detmers? Well, we, with BYU football. Yeah. At they, the they were bowl game, remember? Awesome. Yeah. yeah. You know we, what's weird? We you, got into SeaWorld for free. It, it was, was awesome. Shamu, awesome. <laughs> eight or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, you guys get all the fun. Blackfish. Hey, don't bring up fish right now. I saw a beluga <laughs> whale kiss algae brown on the cheek. Did you really? Oh, that's cute. <laughs> that's so cute. Did they have shrimp salad there by chance? For the fish. They, no, I had a tuna salad. <laughs> yes. No, but they did have... That, that would be amazing, They did right? have pretty good hot chocolate. Did you love mm. that show by Shamu? And they had <laughs> human dryers, salad. too. Really? Yes. They did have human dryers. That was mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Human-like... Dryers, like you, like you walk in, you, you're all wet from the show, and then you walk in and you're dry after. You. Yeah, or you go on a ride that one of the water rides that gets y'all soaking wet. Oh yeah, you go and that pay a couple great. of bucks and get warm. Pretty wow. neat. Sounds really neato. Yeah. Hey, yeah. you guys, I gotta let you go. You gotta go do your show and get your get dried off. I understand. Okay. So, um, just know we care about you. And five minutes, we're all excited for your expertise. If you're Matt Townsend, you've got to get a rebound, please. Bill Walton, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. <laughs> thank you very much, Bill. Bill Walton. That's a great uh boy, that's a great hit by Bill Walton right there for us. We've got we've got all the talent around. Uh Jeff, how are you feeling? You don't seem to be Well, during your interview with Ron, after the, about the fiftieth time you brought up the shrimp salad, my stomach started churning again. It did? Yes. Have you eaten anything? Uh, not a whole lot since the shrimp salad. So I've, I've had very small portions of each meal. Did you ever eat the grapefruit I gave you? My wife did. Okay. 
because I was going to – I brought – I forgot to bring my lunch, but I have a lunch packed and in it was grapefruit. I was going to give you more grapefruit. Hmm. You know what? I, was, I would, I would Is also – Is that a diuretic though? No. Grapefruit? Diet Coke's a diuretic. Ah. I mean for those of you that are keeping score. Hey, maybe this will help because I know you haven't eaten. The world's most expensive burger now sells for $10,000. I'll have a juicy burger, please. It's a it's a burger from Dubai, ten thousand dollars. Ozma Al Fahim, Dubai, do tell. I'm trying to. <laughs> um, Dubai Lifestyle Magazine Villa eighty eight. It's called. Phoned in a winning bid. The giant burger contains seven beef patties. One for each of the Emirates uh, in the United Arab Emirates, aged cheddar and veal bacon strips in a saffron brioche bun. It was prepared by Russell Impiazzi, culinary director at Le Gourmet in Dubai's Galleries Lafayette. The member of Qatar's royal family, Sheikh Mohammed bin Abdullah Al Thani, two years ago uh, broke the record by selling one burger for $7,000. And this year we wanted to top that. Alfani said in a statement, all the proceeds go toward breast cancer awareness and a free detection at an earlier stage. The auction was run by Pink Caravan, which um, campaigns to raise awareness for breast cancer. By the way, they ended up auctioning off four, I think it was four of these burgers for $29,633. Wow. If I know anything about gourmet, that means it has to be good. I mean, just oh, on yeah. the way home, oh, there's yeah. an Asian gourmet Buffet? Yeah, yeah. You ought to stop there. Don't I've had think? enough. I've had enough food poisoning for to last me a few years. Now try some of the shrimp scampi. Anyway, Wisconsin teen is our hero of the day, my friends. Uh, Wisconsin teen saves a friend choking on cheese curd. The talk at Lacrosse Central High School was all focused on last weekend's state basketball championship. Then freshman Will Olson and Ian Brown found themselves in the middle of some heroics themselves. On Wednesday, Ian saved, saved Will's life. Someone cracked a pretty good joke, and I was laughing so hard to the point of where I took a deep breath, and that's when I started to choke, says Will, recounting his harrowing experience, uh, experience in the school lunchroom. That's when I really started to panic. Oh, geez, could I possibly die from this? As Will choked, a security camera in the corner of the lunchroom recorded uh, Ian assessing the situation from across the table before calmly approaching his friend and performing the Heimlich maneuver. Ian positioned himself behind his friend, wrapped his arms around him, and thrust his angled fists into Will's abdomen. Boom, he repeated the procedure four times, and the piece of food was expelled. Saved his life. How cool is that? So a couple of friends, Ian Brown, uh, you know, helps his friend Will Olson, saves him. So Ian's the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. Folks, that's all it takes sometimes is just to be there when somebody needs you. That's uh, why we do this show. So we'll be here every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time, to give you the latest and greatest. Hopefully some funny as well. we got to laugh every once in a while, don't we, Jeff? He nods his head in the affirmative. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, take care of each other and stay away from the shrimp salad.